Your girl is back. It is episode 104 of Sensational She Geek, live from Yancey Street. My name is Anna, if you're new to the podcast, um, and it's been a couple of weeks since I've if I've gotten a recording out. I got some changes happening in my job, and my husband's job, uh, and a couple other things, so adjustments had to be made. Getting used to the new schedule, so here we are later in the week than I wanted to do it, but we're doing it, and boy, do we have a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, like starting off, we're gonna obviously have t- the tarot lesson of the week. We're getting towards the end of the ma- the major arcana, card number seventeen, the star. We have some really fun stuff, including pop culture to talk about with that manga. There is actually some manga news. Um, some fun stuff. I'm, I'm also gonna go over what it is that I've been reading for manga because. I feel like that might work out better than a manga of the week. What do you think? I don't know. Somebody tell me some kind of feedback. Um, We have a lot of comic books. They announced, gosh, almost a month ago now, the November DC, Marvel, and Image Comics um, that are new and noteworthy uh, for November. I'm going to talk about those very briefly, um, but what's going to take up a big chunk of the podcast is going to be the actual comic books that I've been reading lately. Um, there's some really great stuff outside of even events. We obviously have um, the end of the Night Terrors event that I'm going to talk about and give you the rundown for. The beginning of the DC Batcat War, whatever they call it, Gotham War. I can, I'm going to give you a rundown of what's going on with that. And then all of pretty much Fall of X that's happened in the past month, I'm going to go over. That's from Basically going from Dark X-Men number one to Uncanny Avengers, Jean Grey, Realm of X, Invincible Iron Man, Ms. Marvel, The New Mutant, X-Men, and Immortal X-Men. We're covering all of those to cover Fall of X. And then beyond the events of Marvel and DC, we still have, gosh, so many Marvel Age 1000, uh, Antarctica number two, Hawkgirl number two, Disney Villains Hades, uh, Marvel's Voices, X-Men, Marvel Unleashed, I love, The Coal was Fantastic by Kelly Thompson, Dark Knights of Steel wrapped up with this first arc of the story. There's a lot to talk about. Ultimate Invasion, Doctor Strange, Poison Ivy, Silk. I have so many comics that we're going to talk about. And that's only getting us started because um, after we cover briefly, extremely briefly, what's going to be new this week in comics, uh, we have TV, movies, and anime that we're going to cover. Now, um, I'm going to see if I can wait until Adam comes home and cover some of this with me. uh, Because at the end of this segment, we're going to talk Harley Quinn and the Ahsoka what's basically the first half of the season so far, (laughs) because I'm, like I said, behind on the podcast. So there's going to be a lot of Ahsoka discussion. I'm going to bring Adam in to talk about that with us. But before that, that'll be the end of the episode. It's going to be uh, a lot of fun stuff I've been watching, um, like Elemental, Adventure Time with Fiona and Cake, uh, Killing Eve, Grownish. It's a bunch of new English dubbed animes that have been going that I've been catching up on, plus catching up on and rewatching animes that have full seasons out already. So I'm going to go over all of that, plus some fun news and announcements. Long story short, there's a lot of really fun stuff to talk about. Um, and on top of all of that, today is September 12th. Tomorrow, the 13th, is the new Disney Dreamlight Valley update number seven. I am pumped. We're finally getting Belle and Beast, but you know, whatever. I think, I hope we get both versions of them. But anyway, they just put out the update notes um, for what they're going to be doing in this update besides just obviously getting the two new characters. Some really exciting stuff. If I remember, I wrote it down, so I probably will. Um, We're going to talk about that at the beginning of the shows and movies uh, because I have a lot of fun with that game and I've been trying to get a 
kind of an open community going of people who also play the game who want to be able to actually be honest about our opinions and talk about it like normal human beings, not restricted to the rules of the official Discord, which is run by Disney. Um, and like Disney front, full frontal Disney. So it's it's got to be Disney approved through and through. Not like stars or anything. It's straight up Disney kid stuff. But, you know, I'm like 30 and still playing it. Whatever, most of us are adults playing this game. And now that I've talked about it for a ridiculous, ridiculous amount of time already, we have so much more to cover. I need to just shut up and get going with all of this. Before I do that, <laughs> uh, if you do want to find myself or my husband, who will be in the podcast later, on um, any of our social media, those are going to be linked in the description. I would love to have like-minded folks of any type really joining in the Discord, um, just to have a fun place to chat about whatever the heck you want to chat about. Um, not strictly podcast related. This is not a discord for this strictly my podcast. It's just where we're all discovering each other theoretically. And, uh, you know, I'd love to talk to you guys and to hear what you think about whatever it is that's going on with your interests. So yeah, uh, check all that out. Also have my, check out my YouTube channel and, um, uh, my website. I, when am I not behind on my website updates for real though? Um, but that's there too. You can check that out. I have a lot of past podcast stuff uh, and specials. And don't talk to me about 2023 specials, okay? I know I'm supposed to be doing one every other month and I've only put one out this year. It's been... Um, 2023 has been a year of discovery for me. Nothing y'all need to hear about, but that's why things have kind of been up in the air a bit. I digress. Let's get this party rolling. Let's begin with this week's tarot card of the week for our tarot studies, card number 17 of the Major Arcana, The Star. I have some sources linked in the podcast notes. Those are going to be containing pretty much anything that I reference. It's not linked uh, directly in the description below. You'll find access to in the podcast notes, which are linked at the top of every episode's description. They're also there for if anybody wants to kind of scroll through my thoughts for the podcast and not actually listening to it for the hearing impaired. Anything really about that uh, you can find on the podcast notes, which are on my website. But anyway, card of the week, card number 17 of the Major Arcana, the star. Starting off with the description and symbolism, we'll touch on history before going into the interpretation, meaning, pop culture, and finally, a little summary. So starting with the description and symbolism, the star card shows a naked woman kneeling at the edge of a small pool. She holds two containers of water, one in her left hand, the subconscious, and one in her right, the conscious. She pours the water out to nourish the earth and continue the cycle of fertility, represented by the lush greenery around her. The other container pours the water onto dry land in five rivulets, representing the five senses. The woman has one foot on the ground, representing her practical abilities and the, common, the good common sense, and the other foot in the water, representing her intuition and inner resources and listening to her inner voice. She is naked, representing her vulnerab vulnerability and purity under the vastness of the starry night sky. Behind her shines one large star, representing her core essences, and seven smaller stars, representing the chakras, which is probably what I'm going to be going through after we finish the Major Arcana. Let me know what you think about that idea. Moving into the history of the star card, 
the Tarot de Marseillais and the Waitsmith image brings in another set of interpretations. The woman has nothing to hide. We can trust her to give us the naked truth. She exists in a state of innocence. The act of pouring water could be a libation offered to the spirits of the land, a personal ritual of purification. She nurtures life and pours blessings onto the earth. As for who is the star... In the 17th century, the Terra de Marseille top portion of the card is filled with one large star surrounded by seven smaller stars, all with eight points. Below, a naked woman kneels on the bank of a river or pool with one foot in the water. She pours water from two jars, one stream into the other, and the other onto the earth. A bird perches onto the tree behind her. The carry sheet, presumed to be printed in about 1500, is about a precursor to is possibly a precursor to the Terra de Marseille. A kneeling figure pours water into the two jars from the two jars into a body of water. There is some controversy over whether the figure is male or female. An eight-pointed star blazes overhead, surrounded by four smaller stars. The, the star at the figure's shoulder seems to be sitting at the top of a wand, and the figure the figure is holding. The zodiac sign Aquarius is the most obvious astrological association with this card. Aquarius is usually rendered as a man pouring water from one jar, but it's not uncommon to see variations such as a woman pouring water from two jars. Another constellation associated with this card is Pleiades, the seven water nymphs who were the daughters of the titan Atlas. According to one story, Orion pursued them relentlessly until Artemis turned them into seven doves, then seven stars. The bird in the tree on the star card might be a reference to their time as doves. The central, eighth star, is logically their father Atlas, a titan who made war with the, against the Olympian gods. Zeus condemned Atlas to stand at the western end of the earth and hold up the sky. There's a problem with this attribution. Atlas is not a star. He's a mythic figure who is usually depicted bent over in the weight of holding up the celestial globe. An eight-pointed star has been associated with the goddess of love ever since the Mesopotamians used the star as a symbol for their goddess Inanna slash Ishtar. There are a few problems with seeing this card as Venus, though. The mythic Venus slash Aphrodite is rarely depicted pouring water. If the central star is Venus and the other stars are also planets, then there is one star too many. There is a story that follows the, the card, as the story that the card is telling, really. Uh, one thing to note, though, is that free associating on the details of one card often leads to conclusions that don't hold up when you stand back and look at the entire series of trumps. This is like the tarot version of psychology's correlation is not causation. The entire sequence of trumps, starting with the devil card, might illustrate the apocalypse as described in the book of Revelation in the Bible. Revelations begins with and ends with imagery related to the star card. In the first chapter of Revelation, the author, John of Patmos, hears a voice like a trumpet behind him, commanding him to write down what he will see in his visions and send it, down, send it to the seven churches of Asia, Roman provinces in Asia Minor. When John turned around, he saw a man who was obviously Christ, although he isn't named. This man is surrounded by seven golden candlesticks, and he holds seven stars in his hand. In verse 20, Christ explains that the seven candlesticks are the seven churches, and that the stars are the seven angels, or messengers, of the churches. This scene kicks off a series of visions about the end of time where the stars, the moon, and the sun are mentioned numerous times. The last chapter of the book of Revelations continues John's visions. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, crystal, cri excuse me, clear as crystal. 
and on each side of the river there was the tree of life. Further on in verse 16, Jesus says, I am the root and offspring of David and bright the morning star. None of these explanations, none of these explains the, the presence of a naked woman pouring water into a pool. The French occultists, with their theories about Tara's Egyptian origins, are the first to address this issue directly. But again, remember, pre-associating on the details of one card often leads to the conclusions that don't hold up when you stand back and look at the entire series of Trumps. But as for the occultist's point of view, the woman pouring water in the star card to them is very likely a combination of several ancient goddesses. In Mesopotamia, the eight-pointed star symbolizes the goddess Inanna or Ishtar, who was later associated with the classical goddess Aphrodite or Venus. In Egypt, the goddess Sothis was, was associated with the star Sirius, which rose in the east at dawn at the time of the annual Nile flood. The Greeks later conflated Sothis and Isis. The, nail had, the, the Nile has two headwaters, the White Nile and the Blue Nile. It's impossible to know the designer of the now-classic Tarot de Marseille depicted Sothis or Isis starting the annual flood by pouring the water into the Nile, while the star of Aphrodite shines overhead. The annual flood of the Nile connects this card to the moon and the sun cards. French and British occultists stated explicitly that the woman uh, is Isis and that the large star is Sirius but they also saw the star as Venus, as she is an important symbol in Masonic rituals. Occultists interpreted this card through multiple lenses, Egyptian, alchemical, Masonic, and Kabbalistic. They saw the star woman as a transformed temperance angel pouring her elixir onto the earth. Burning liquid from the burning liquid from, pours from the gold jar to revive a revive stagnant water, while from the silver jar flows pure water that nourishes the natural world. Some occultists, like Oswald Wirth, changed the bird into a butterfly, representing Psyche, the resurrected immortal soul. In Wirth's deck, the butterfly perches on a rose, an Egyptian symbol related to the goddess Isis, who became the Greek and Roman goddess of love, Aphrodite, Venus. The story makes sense when you interpret if you interpret the entire Trump series through an occultist Egyptian filter. Otherwise, it doesn't fit the Christian theme of the rest of the cards. Although Waite and Smith were both former Golden Dawn members, they reverted to the French eight-pointed stars when they designed this card. Although Waite says the woman pouring the waters of life represents the eternal youth and beauty, he also says that, above all, she is the Kabbalistic Great Mother of Binah. Which I was going to do some research to explain what that is, but frankly, it is beyond me. A lot of these occultist groups of the late 1800s, early 1900s went too far. <laughs> they, they, they really, they, they got weird. <laughs> but yeah, so I couldn't, I couldn't gather a, a sensical explanation about the Kabbalistic great mother of Benah without going into probably multiple episodes worth of explanation that I don't really feel like doing because that's not quite the point of this, but moving on. That brings us into the interpretation and meaning of the star card. Um, starting with the A.E. Waite of the Rider Waite Smith tarot deck that we all knew and love was quite quite a quite a dramatic RM14 and this is deep kind of guy. And so this is what he had to say about the star when he wrote about it in the early 20th century. So it stands for hope and bright prospects. That was really it. Reversed, he says, loss, theft, privation, abandonment. And then another reading could say arrogance, haughtiness, and impotence. 
It's actually the most level, I think, of his own descriptions, <laughs> of his own interpretations, uh, from the Biddy Terra site in a more modern sense. Upright, the card is hope, faith, purpose, renewal, and spirituality, where reverse is lack of faith, despair, self-trust, and disconnection. As the star follows the tower card in tarot, it comes as a welcome reprieve after a period of destruction and turmoil. You have endured many challenges and stripped yourself bare of any limiting beliefs you have previously held you back. You are realizing your core essence, who you are beneath all the layers. No matter what life throws your way, you know that you are always connected to the divine and pure loving energy. You hold a new sense of self, a new appreciation for the core of your being. The star brings renewed hope and faith, and a sense that you are truly blessed by the universe. You are entering a peaceful, loving phase in your life filled with calm energy, mental stability, and more in-depth understanding of both yourself and others around you. This kind of works for me, actually. This kind of fits where I'm at right now. This is a time of significant personal growth and development, as you are now ready to receive the many blessings of the universe. I mean, I could, yeah, I, that'd be nice. I'd go with that, too, if it's available. With the star card, anything is possible and the magic is flowing around you. Your heart is full of hope and your soul is being uplifted to the highest of highs as you realize that your dreams really can come true. Allow yourself to dream, to aspire, to elevate in any way possible so that you can reach the stars. They are right here waiting for you. You may also want to find or rediscover a sense of meaning, inspiration, or purpose in your life. You are making some significant changes in your life, transforming yourself from the old you to the new you, and, in doing so, you are bringing about a fresh perspective, out with the old and in with the new. You are choosing the highest version of yourself. This is a profound spiritual journey that will bring greater meaning and purpose into your life and will renew your inner energy. The stri strip back any limiting beliefs, facades, or deceptions, and live in your authentic nature. Be open to new ideas and growth, and listen to the still voice within. The star also suggests a generous spirit. You want to give or share your wealth with others to help transform their lives. Yours is an open heart, and you want and you now want to give back the blessings you receive so that the others may benefit. Our last segment here of, of the tarot, the star card, uh, before the summary is pop culture. We're going to cover the DC and Justice League tarot character, who they chose the same character to be stand-in for the star, the anime tarot, the Marvel tarot, and then a couple other fun things. So starting with the Marvel tarot, the uh, 2007 fictional journal of a magical character in the Marvel Universe who goes through the major arcana of tarot cards and assign, basically reads them to see which character in the, you know, which person in the 616 ends up being on the cards. For the uh, star card, he has none other than Jennifer Kale, who is a bit of an odd, um, bit of an odd one. She is a pre, she was at one point a sort of, um, student of Stephen Strange, right? Dr. Strange. Um, but she also was, uh, I don't know. She's got a little bit of a complicated history. I think, I don't think it's all happy. Um, but she was also in the, um, what was the one that Satana was in as well? Uh, that would be the witches series. Um, fun series. It was kind of like girls get gathered by Dr. Strange to do a job for him. Oops, my computer's yelling at me. And then, um, exit page. 
Anyway, <laughs> now that I've got through the technical difficulties the first sec there, uh, it was like he gathered them all up and then they ended up being like, um, no, old man, we're not going to give you this extremely powerful book. Uh, so, bye. <laughs> so they, they was, it was, like I guess, a nice thing in the end. But anyway, uh, in the Marvel tarot, this is what the dude has to say about Jennifer Kale. He says... I met Jennifer Kale at a sorcerer's social sort of thing. I found out later how powerful she was, but at the time, all I knew was she was loads of fun and had a laugh I could listen to all night. As the heir to the tomb of Zedrana, Zedrana, Jen has been through some rough times, but mostly she sort of sees it as a big adventure. She has faith that whatever happens is what is meant to be. That makes her a perfect match for the star card and a great person to have around at parties. I mean, I guess. There's definitely a lot more Marvel characters who I feel like would be better at parties, but that's just me, I guess. As for the DC character who corresponds to these, there are two DC Comics uh, tarot decks that I kind of take this info from. These two uh, agree with each other. The character they choose is Supergirl, aka, of course, Kara Danvers. <sighs> Slash Kara Zor-El, you know, pick your poison. Um, is this accurate? Mostly. <laughs> um, Supergirl for a very long time has been sort of known as the character, like the happy-go-lucky Supergirl, right? I feel like that's a thing that has been said by people who are not me before, right? Um, what's interesting about it is this may need to be updated because they have definitely taken a bit of a turn with the character in a good way. Um, they're trying to give her more than just that reputation, which I really like. And of course, part of the way that they're doing that is bringing in Paige, who is, of course, Power Girl. Uh, she goes by Paige now. Um, so yeah, uh, it, it does fit, of course, if you were to talk to Tom King, I'm sure he would disagree with that. Um, but possibly it does still work because of the whole thing about the star um, or Supergirl <laughs> wanting to kind of save everyone, uh, whether or not she can. I don't know, maybe it sort of fits still, but um, growth, character growth, we love to see it. Anyway, uh, that leaves us with the anime tarot, which we're going to go through and read what she says about that right now. The anime tarot is by Natasha Iglesias, and I have just been loving her takes on the different archetypes and symbolism that connects anime to tarot cards. So the trope that she assigns to the star is the optimist. And here's what she says. The star's analog in anime is the optimist. These characters stay determined and pur purposeful despite any negative outside noise. They're committed to their ideals and their faith, and they stand firm in their purpose. Many of these characters are spiritually inclined, believing that the heavens will be their guiding light and make everything right in the end. On the note of Supergirl, it, it fits the traditional Supergirl that we've no, come to know through the decades, uh, which they're, they're trying to add more to her personality than that, which I like. Uh, anyway, the Optimist appears in, she says, Yona of the Dawn as, I can't read that name, Sue, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, Alphonse Elric, One Piece, Monkey D. Luffy, Fairy Tale, Natsu Dragneel, Naruto, Rock Lee, and My Hero Academia, Ochako Uraka. Urak Ura Uraraka. Uraraka. Yeah, I guess that's right. Uh, and that leaves the last one here, of course. JoJo's Bizarre Adventures in Stardust Crusaders, 
Tarot cards are named are used to name some of the characters' powers called stands. The protagonist, Jotaro Kujo, has a stand or power called Star Platinum, named after the star card. And actually, as I turn my head to look at my husband's office, he just got both Jojo, I mean Jotaro, and Star Platinum action figures. They look pretty cool, I'm not gonna lie. They gave Jojo the chain, the actual chain on the little figure. Not sure what the company is that he got them from. The boxes are on the floor, but I can't read it from here. Um, but anyway, dude, if, if you guys want to see those action figures on my YouTube page, I will totally do a video to show you Jojo and Jotaro. Sorry, Jotaro and Star Platinum, because Adam has those. And if you think they're cool, I can show them off to you. But anyway, that leaves us with the, leaves us with the summary for the star card, and we can move on to other things. Whether the card depicts medieval astronomers or a naked goddess, its interpretation has remained remarkably unchanged over the years. Gift is the oldest known divinatory meaning for this card, recorded in Bologna, probably Bologna, yeah, about 1750. This is probably a reference to the gifts carried by the three magi, magi, wow, Anna, as they followed the star of Bethlehem to the Christ child. For Christians, the star of Bethlehem announces the birth of Christ and the hope of overcoming death. Hope is a common interpretation of this card. On many early tarot star cards, people reach for the stars, hoping for healing, blessing, or an omen. Who hasn't wished upon a star at one time? A bright star alone in the sky invites us to pin our hopes on it. The stars guide us towards fulfilling our innate destiny. But remember, celestial omens aren't always gentle and uplifting. They can rock your world in a terrifying manner. We're going to go ahead and do our manga segment now. Uh, the two points of manga news I have are kind of minor. Uh, for the first one, it really goes for... Um, man, I am just technical difficulty city here today. Uh, this goes for anybody who's reading My Dress Up Darling as the manga. Um, previously, we were getting weekly chapters, as we do with most mangas that are current and going out on some kind of platform. My Dress of Darling has been switching to monthly chapters starting on September 15th, which is just in a couple of days. That being said, there are going to be bulkier chapters, um, so it's not really that much of a loss. I don't know. I'll have to wait and see for those of us who are reading it live, or while it comes out, I guess, um, how that goes. But, um, the, uh... Let's see, the new arc that the manga is on currently, we're definitely going to get a second um, a second season to the anime, which I recommend if you haven't seen it. I'm just reading this article kind of as I go through this. Uh, as confirmed, actually, apparently, to have a second season, so that's even better. But there are 86 chapters uh, as of January that um, they have to catch up on. They've made it through, mm, I want to say three-quarters of what's been put out in English so far. Um, I talked about the most recent English volume on a recent episode, if you want to check that out. Um, but anyway, this makes me... The only thing that this is going to change for readers like myself, who read the collected volumes when they come out, is that it's probably going to be less chapters that are longer chapters. So I believe that makes sense. Moving on to our next bit of news here. This one's kind of fun. Um, this is a Spider-Man Kazuna manga that's being launched in early October, October's 4th. Um, it stands for Spider-Man, it means Spider-Man Bonds. This is going to be by Seta Kobayashi and Hachi Mizuno. And this one says the manga, uh, it was first published as a one-shot 
in the magazine, which the magazine is <gasps> Shuishu's Psycho Jump. There we go, uh, which I definitely said wrong. Um, it was published to one shot the magazine in September 2022, focusing on you, a transfer student from Japan, who fused together with Spider-Man. I'm not sure what that means. Fused together. But it looks really cute. It looks like there's some fun, like, chibi-style art. Um, and that's, as far as I can tell, not the same Spider-Man um, as, like, the Spider-Man Japan, the manga Spider-Man. As far as I know, those are different entities. So, um, new fun Spider-Man manga content. Why the heck not? Uh, as for what I've been reading in manga recently, um, starting off with the Wotakoi art book. This was really fantastic to get. It also had a little poster in it that is now up on my wall because we have a little collection of like romance art and comic covers. Um, and so we put that up because it's like one of the couples from the book. Of course, Wotakoi is... Love is hard for otaku is what the full title of is, is. Absolutely brilliant. I cannot recommend enough. Very easy reading. Very happy in your heart. Very warm feeling in your chest. Much so. Um, but anyway, the art book, it's you can get it at Walmart for like $17. Otherwise, it's online for, I want to say, $25. Totally, totally worth it if you really enjoyed this manga. And I really did. And I'm so happy to have it. It's a great table book of... Um, there's some art from the manga, and then there is some extra art that has not been seen before in print, so it's really exciting. The Great Jahi Will Not Be Defeated Volume 6 came out in the past month or so. Uh, this one caught us up to the point in the anime, if you've seen that. I don't think there's gonna be a second season, just saying. Um, it, caught, it catches up to the point in the anime where we get, um, who is the character? Sarva. Sarva is the character. I absolutely want to cosplay as Sarva. I think it would be brilliant and I would have so much fun doing it. But this is the whole thing where Sarva tries to, starts trying to like trap Jahi and ends up in the bathhouse with Jahi using all of her shampoo, her luxurious shampoo, because she thinks it's provided by the bathhouse. And then ja and then Sarva trying to catch Jahi in these horrible death traps. But it's just the the magical girl who is now friends with Jahi just keeps getting caught in them on purpose because she wants Jahi to save her. <laughs> but she's fine. Uh, really, really fun. Jahi is still so much fun to read after even having seen the whole anime twice now. Absolutely recommend it. Uh, some things that I've been reading online. A Useless Idol and the Only Fan in the World, chapters 7 and 8. This one is about an idol, part of an idol group, uh, but she is not very good at what she does. She is like kind of goth dressing um and she has kind of the attitude to go along with it she's not a very good singer she forgets her lines and how to dance all the time when they're live and she has one fan <laughs> um but he is super into um telling her how she can do better and supporting her and it's really cute um and in the recent issue in the recent chapters uh, it seemed that there is another guy who is going to be kind of a creep on her and possibly we're going to see her fan, her true fan, save the day. I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen? My Black Mage is Too Cute by, Ta by Takedon. Chapters 1 and 2 of, unfortunately, only 3. I love this so much. I would really love for this to get a full series out of it because it's the school of magic students. Um, and there's this one, like, really grumpy, angry guy. But he's actually secretly in love with this, with this uh, young witch girl. Um, you know, young his age, they're both young. 
And he doesn't know that she can read minds whenever she touches somebody, like their clothes or their hand or anything. So she'll bump into him and he'll be like, watch out where you're going, scum. But then in his mind, she'll hear him say like, oh my god, she touched me. It is so cute. Super cute. Uh, the fed up office lady wants to serve the villainess. I know I've talked about on a manga of the week segment in the past. Chapter 11 had a little bit of a surprise. I don't know if it's a surprise, but it really just confirmed that, um, the, vil the villainess does actually have the plan of wiping out all of the commoners. And she's sort of trying to play her, um, you know, her office lady who is isekai'd into this world. Um, She's kind of playing her. She's like she's like the one, possibly the one exception to the poor that she likes. I don't know, uh, but we're gonna. I guess we'll see after that how that's gonna end up. If she's gonna end up changing her mind or what. Finally, Yomega Kiss chapters one through three is another one that I have read. It's a kind of standard. Uh, the two high school students who seem to hate each other but are secretly living together because their families engaged them or whatever betrothed them. Um, it's, it's cute, kind of generic, but it's cute. I recommend it. It is by Aki Tokaje. Okay, uh, okay, let's talk comic books. So we're starting off with going over the now old news of the DC, Marvel, and Image Comics. Kickoffs, big news, noteworthy releases happening in November. Um, note that it'll be a couple of weeks, probably max one month until you have the deadline to order these comics if you want to order them from your local comic book shop. So keep that in mind. Honestly, the next episode will probably have the December stuff ready to go too. So next time, I guess. Okay, starting with DC. We're doing this Titans Beast World event. Not sure what it's about yet. I guess I'll figure it out when we get there. But it's going to start in November with Titans Beast World number one by Tom Taylor and art by Ivan Reese and Danny Miki. Um, it says, clawing, the clawing out of the pages of the diamond, unprecedented in the DC universe, all powerless to stop the Necro Star from ending all life on Earth, whatever the heck that is. It says, the only hero who can save them is Beast Boy, question mark. That doesn't put a lot of faith in me. <laughs> anyway, moving on from that, Titans Beast World, World Tour Metropolis. This is going to be an anthology book by Nicole Maines, Joshua Williamson, Zipporah Smith, and Dan Jurgens. Art by Max Rayner, Anthony Marquez, and Edwin Galman. We're also getting Titans, Beast World, Waller Rising by Chuck Brown, who is fantastic. Uh, Bitterroot writer is what he was. Check out Bitterroot. I really can't recommend it enough. Titans, Beast World Evolution is another anthology one by Marv Wolfen, Bob Haney, and Leah Williams. Art by George Perez, Bill Molno, and Marguerite Savage. I love her. Uh, then we have some unrelated stuff. Superman 78, The Metal Curtain number 1. This is going to be Robert Venditti and Gavin Guidry. Guidry? Sorry, dude. Speed Force number 1 by Jarrett Williams and Danielle Di Niculo. Amazon's Attack is going to be on issue 3 by Josie Campbell. Wonder Roman is going to be on issue 3 by Tom King. JSA on issue 9 by Jeff Johns and Mikael Janin still. Power Girl will be on issue 3 by Leia Williams. Fire and Ice, Welcome to Smallville, also on issue 3. And then they have their special, DC's Twas the Night Before Christmas. Oh, never mind, sorry, they say DC's Twas the Might Before Christmas. So I guess Batmite stuff is happening. If it's anything like the swimsuit special, it'll be drastically disappointing. 
Okay, so Marvel November news. We've got Superior Spider-Man by Dan Slott. We knew that was going to happen. Deadpool Seven Slaughters is a uh, anthology series. Rob Liefeld, ew, Colin Bunn, Cody Ziglar, Mark Guggenheim, Justina Ireland, and Gail Simone. Meh. Uh, art by Rob Liefeld, Greg Land. Awful list so far. Will Shepardaccio, David Baldione, and Philip Savy. I will not be reading that. Can't lie. Uh, then we have Gods Number Two, obviously by uh, Jonathan Hickman. We're gonna do Marvel Super Secret Wars Battle World is one of four. This is gonna be Tom DeFalco with Pat O'Leaf on art. Uh, not sure why they're going back to Secret Wars, but there we go. It's the original Secret Wars too, so whatever. Daredevil Black Armor number one of four is by new Daredevil writer D. G. Chichester, Chichester, and Netho Diaz. Um, he's going to be back in black. Thanos number one of four. Hell yeah, Christopher Cantwell with Luca Pizzari. Uh, covered by Lionel Francis Yu. You got me with just that. Oh, and Phil Noda's doing a cover? Dude. He's doing an homage variant cover? Dude. Two of my favorite things. Phil Noto and homages. I have Phil Noda's first Marvel cover. Um, it's a Captain Marvel cover. And it's got some spacey looking chick that he's like, dancing with. Anyway, Howard the Duck is also coming out with number one. Looks like an anthology series, starting with Chip Zarsky, Daniel Kibblesmith, Merritt Kay, and more, with Joe Kionez, Annie Wu, and more in art. Punisher number one, David Pepose, and Dave Watcher. Sabiter Woman number one of four by Steve Fox and Carola, Borel Bar Carola Borelli. Sorry, dude. Luke Cage, Gang War number one of four by Rodney Barnes and Ramon F. Box. And then Amazing Spider-Man Gang War, not Gang Bang, my bad, for Strike. <laughs> it's going to be by Zeb Wells, unfortunately, so we're going to move on. White Widow, one of four, is by Sarah Gailey, art by Alessandro Miracolo. Elena Belova returns. Ultimate Universe number one is coming from Jonathan Hickman in November. After the world-shaking conclusion of Ultimate Invasion, banding together to save the future. Cool. Spider-Man, Spider-Boy number one, again, Dan Slott. Carnage number one by Torin Grumbeck, who I've come to be a fan of. Perry Perez on that one as well. And then it's Jeff, the Jeff verse by Kelly Thompson will be finally happening. Captain Marvel number two by Alyssa Wong. Sensational She-Hulk number two by Rainbow Roll. Then we have What If uh, Dark Tomb of Dracula, which is going to have a really cool variant by Art Germ that has uh, Lilith, the daughter of Dracula. I talked about her in my uh, Satana podcast from last October, if you want to hear about that. And then X-Men Blue Origins, number one, by C. Spurrier. That brings us to Image Comics. There's only a couple of number ones that they've got. Crave, one of six, is cover story and art by Maria LeVay, who I have will always take to the... I don't remember what the term I was going to use there was, but I will support the crap out of Maria LeVay projects always. The Holy Roller, number one, by Andy Samberg, Rick Remender, Jor Thrallman, and then Roland Boshi. Seems like a lot going on there. Petrol Head, number one, by Rob Williams, and art by... Pi Par? Interesting. Blood Commandment, one of four, by Simon Kudransky. And then Dutch number zero by Joe Casey and Nathan Fox. The next segment that I'm going to kick off here is going to be, it's we're continuing comic books, but we're doing comic book reads, stuff that I've read. It's, uh, I'm, uh, it's so much. 
Um, what I'm going to go through, what I have not read but still plan on reading, Kill Your Darlings, Captara, Swan Songs, particularly issue 3, Her Evil issue 2, Tear Us Apart, The Sacrificers issue 2, uh, Fire and Ice, Birds of Prey, and then JSA 6. Those are the ones that I have not caught up with. I have a list, <laughs> so I'll be able to catch up on them in the next period before we get, hopefully, week before the next podcast episode comes out. So that's what I haven't, I've, I've caught up with everything but those. Uh, we'll get to the events after we get to the, the, the generic stuff. So let's start with the generic stuff that's not tied into any kind of super event or whatever. Uh, starting with Dark Knights of Seal number 12, this is the wrap-up of Tom Taylor and Yasmin Putri's truly brilliant uh, DC Universe retelling of sorts. Um, I am massively a fan of what they've been doing with this, and we are going to be getting more. Um, so basically, in this issue, uh, Amanda Waller, who is like their general, she has teamed up with the White Martians... Meanwhile, Constantine, Harley Quinn, and Lois Lane are the ones to come up with a final plan, which is to erupt a volcano or a volcanic mountain to take out the White Martians because they can't do fire, right? They cover the mountain in pitch, and then the Kryptonian and Amazon warriors literally light themselves on fire because that won't hurt them, right? Um, in order to fight the Martians while on fire. Like, that is baller. Um, and what the, one of the things that is narrated was they underestimated our strength and our pure bastardry, which, yeah, lighting yourself on fire to fight them because you can, that's pretty much, that's not a fair fight, but I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, the White Martians are banished to the Phantom Realm. However, Waller kills Alfred. Uh, she pins it on Deadshot and then Bruce comes in and watches him die which is real sad, and the League is formed. The alliance between the Elves, the Storms, the Waynes, and then Harley, Ivy, Lois, and John Constantine. Can't wait to see more of this. It was amazing. Gonna get it on collected edition, as well as single-issue copies. This shit was so good. The Cold Number 1 is by Kelly Thompson, and I was very much into it, like, immediately. Because it starts off with a beach having been overwhelmed by aliens, like, people are being eaten by aliens. And then you get into 12 hours earlier. A group of film students meet at 3-something in the morning uh, at that same beach to do a project, only to find that their leader has brought them to this, like, mysterious cave to another dimension. It is worth mentioning that it looks like there is there are many, many other caves with entrances all over this like realm that they've gone into. Really cool stuff. Um, she, The girl who is the protagonist, she thinks that her missing little brother is there. And this was very impressive to me, this issue as a whole. In a single issue, Kelly Thompson managed to define all of the characters of all five or six teens as unique and understandable without any unnecessary backstory clogging up the float. The flow remains forward, and we are given tons of information about their lives along the way. It was very, very well done. And what more could possibly be said about Mattia Deluli's art? It is cinemographic. Cinematogo cinematographic. Cinematographic. Cinematograph. Cinematographic. I can't say it. Uh, but that's apparently the word <laughs> that I wanted to use. Each scene is set up from the different angles that somehow all perfectly make up the whole picture, even though we're looking at the boxes facing in different directions. And of course, the depth of field trick that Monsieur Deluli uses, which not only is a fantastic cheat for time's sake, but adds greatly to the film-like elements of the art. And though the big alien monsters that we see look like Godzilla, uh, 
the Godzilla movie, you know, with Aaron Taylor Johnson, the villain, the bug villain thing. There are much, much smaller ones that we see also, almost like plant or walking jellyfish, which seem to smother the humans on the beach in that first panel of the comic. So how do we get there? Cleo, who is the leader of the group with the missing brother, she has these little red marker flags she's brought to mark the path through this weird world, the dimension they found, like Hansel and Gretel. The big aliens are there, too, uh, outside the cave she found. It looks like they're too big to fit inside, so how do they end up in our dimension? I don't know. I'm into all of this very much. Can't wait for the next issue, legitimately. Marvel Unleashed was also very fun. It starts off with Lockjaw hunting Craven. I wanted to hear about where Lockjaw's... I'm sorry, the other way around. Craven hunting Lockjaw. <laughs> I wanted to hear about where Lockjaw's owners were, but obviously it's not going to happen. They're going to keep that as quiet as possible, probably for as long as possible. <laughs> uh, Lucky the dog goes through some trash, and new we meet new characters, Juniper and D-Dog, who, um, this is a self-described super dog, but he has, the she, she, excuse me, she has no powers. D-Dog is wearing a D-Man mask that she found in the trash. Juniper's owner is an AIM scientist called Myron. Red Wing joins them when they stop by the Avengers Mansion, and... Chewbacca Sassy Danvers, a.k.a. Chewie the Flurkin. Um, one thing that D-Dog says is, if you're not affiliated with De De Demolition Man, what's the D stand for? It stands for dog. So your name is Dog Dog? <laughs> I, just, I love it, okay? They do a better job of, of, of saying it than I do. Um, they talk about the Rainbow Bridge, where animals go to when they die to wait for their person. D-Dog doesn't have a person, so ask what would happen to her. Lucky takes Juniper home because of her little lapdog legs, and they end up following the suit scent, the rest of them, to the AIM research station. They end up charging in. There's a funny comment. Have any of you invented an anti-talon spray? Brad is in pretty rough shape back there. <laughs> he got attacked by Red Wing. Uh, they go through the woods till they find Lockjaw trapped in a cave with all this magical crap. Myron is paying Craven for to bring Lockjaw, and then speaks with Blackheart, who is, you might recall, the son of Mephisto, through a mirror and activates a machine to use Lockjaw to summon Blackheart there. Uh, and so what they what Redwing says is, I only know one way to beat a demon with a god. Now we're going to get Throg entering the scene. I am into it, man. Immortal Thor number one, I didn't write so much about. It's just a, I literally wrote, we'll see. Um, on the one hand, it could be cool as shit. On the other hand, I still feel like it's a bit cringe already. That's not a good sign. Marvel's Voices, X-Men number one. Somewhere else in my notes, I wrote, where the hell did Vita Ayala go? This is where Vita Ayala went. Not really. This is where they are more for a moment. Introduction of Marvel's Voices, X-Men was by Vita. Vita Ayala. Love to see them. Um, also wish they had more jobs in comics because they're awesome. Their new Mutants run was my favorite that I've ever read, basically. Anyway, in Mar we have a couple of different stories. Uh, Rogue and Gambit versus the Thieves Guild. Jean and Emma at a summertime amusement park. An Arako Pride Party with Iceman and Co. Iceman and Storm play fighting on an, an ice moon of Arako and then having brunch in Majapur. Jubilee and Yuriko, who is Lady Deathstrike, uh, and Jubilee's Aunt Hope. Uh, Hope turns on Lady Deathstrike, and Jubilee defends her. Uh, then Lady Deathstrike gives over her arm willingly to free Hope. Raven and Irene and the Brotherhood is another story. Xavier, looking back at the team through the past years, is the final story, and the next one, it says, is going to be a counterpart issue 
to for the Avengers coming in December. From Dynamite, Disney Villains Hades number one was a very fun one, in my opinion. The art was brilliant. Hades is furious that he was not invited to the weekly God Brunch. He says, if only I knew three creepy old ladies who know everything in the universe. Oh wait, I do. Uh, basically, he wants to uh, get the Golden Fleece of Transformation. So he goes to Medusa and then Arachne, uh, who got turned into a spider for weaving better than Athena. He gets Icarus and Eurydice's uh, boyfriend, uh, who is the one who looked back at her and she turned and she disappeared. But anyway, he's making some kind of some kind of villain team of some sort, Greek mythology team, and then elsewhere. Uh, there is another hero who was going to find the fleece as well. So race is on. Harley Quinn, Black, White, and Redder number two. We have a story by Kelly Thompson and Annie Wu featuring Zaytana, uh, Brant and Stein featuring Super Pets and the Duminals, Doom Animals. I thought it was pretty funny. And then Ryan Parrott and Luana Vecchio with Harley taking down some dirty cops. That one was probably my favorite of this grouping. Big game number two, I'm prob I, I don't know, we'll just have to wait to see what issue two, three happens, because dude literally killed everybody that mattered in this issue, so I'm kind of like, where does that leave us? <laughs> like, the end, everybody died, like, what? <laughs> we'll see what issue three does, because that was not a good issue. <laughs> uh, Hot Girl number two, we did not have Laura Braga art this time, and I missed it. Uh, there's something about this witch lady going into the past and changing people's fates for a terrible price. There is a new alien chick. She is hot, like a lesbian dream girl, and brilliantly queer-coded. Uh, Hawkwoman is being haunted by her former lives. The alien connects Kendra's wings to her body. The nth metal and her, her nervous system are incompatible, so she was able to fix that. Oh, and then I learned that she was actually a trans-lesbian alien, and I was like, okay, that makes sense why she was so queer-coded. I get it. People are going to fucking hate this, but I am not one of them, so my bad for being open. Uh, not sure why Kendra only owns this one outfit that she's been in for both issues, but okay. Uh, she's a big fight at the club, and then Kendra basically has to reveal that she's Hawkwoman, and everybody is super shocked. Loki number three, this was one of a couple of issues that had a John Romita corner box to uh, honor his history at Marvel Comics. Uh, this one, a Kree soldier has been trapped for a millennia in the sun of a planet that would otherwise die. Loki kills him, freeing him from the pain, but otherwise dooming the planet so that the sun is no longer going to be viable for them. The last shard of the weapons that he's lost, the ship, the Nelfrager, Nelfrager or whatever ship, um, the last shard goes to some rando guy who makes it into a book of horrible truths and it, like, tortures a bunch of people. And he sells it to Bullseye, who's not affected by it for whatever reason. And he says that he's, quote, going to rip the world a new asshole with it. End quote. I'm kind of down, because that's hilarious. Antarctica number two, I was kind of lost in this one, honestly, but I'm pretty sure the future versions of themselves are trying to kill them. Not sure how that'll work out for them. Something epic number four, I dropped. That was too much for me. Um, the intrigue to amount of reading that there had to be done was just way off. Way off. You needed a lot more intrigue to make me read, like, full books worth of stuff in each issue. Like, come on, man. I like reading books, but I'm here for a comic. Uh, Maleficent number three. 
I still enjoy this. Dynamite Comics. She sends her Raven spy for her to make sure that no one else is coming from where the prince in the previous issue comes from. It encounters all kinds of animals and a lynx and then gets back and she says, what a little, what a little something, uh, troublemaker. I don't know, something like that. It's cute. Daredevil and Echo number four, more grace to fill note of art, wasted on an extremely mid-story. Uh, they all make it out alive in the end. It was a short issue, to be honest, and that's about all I got. Red Sonia number two, basically somebody cursed a whole pub with a desire to kill Sonia, so she ended up having to defend herself by slaughtering all of them. Good stuff. Um, and then she tells somebody in the issue, if you look at me and see a desperate woman, look again. And I was like, ooh, that's bad. I like it. Marvel Age 1000, uh, a couple of different stories. The first one was about the human torch and the, the radio superhero High Heat that he thought was real and kind of uh, created his like personal superhero persona around. There's a Ryan Segman Spider-Man story, story of the young X-Men at Xavier's Academy with Marguerite Savage art, which is the best thing about it. Marvell stops a rocket with messages from Earth to go into space because he's an idiot. There's a Daredevil story. Uh, Silver Surfer speaking with Mephisto on the battlegrounds of World War II. A New Yorker encountering the mighty Thor and then Jane Foster and being inspired to become a nurse. And then you have the one that made me tear up. These three little boys in the backyard witnessing these superheroes fight. And then the mother calls them in. Stan, Jack, and Steve. And they were talking about how that they were the only ones who could see this and it wasn't real if it meant that nobody else could see it and if they didn't tell anybody. Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Steve Ditko. That one got me. I will not lie. Uh, really well well put together. That was probably my favorite one in the, in the issue. Ultimate Invasion number three. Um, this is the concept of warring nations is revealed to be just a play that they put on and rotate the roles and then just to keep society going the way that it's always gone, basically. There is a sick-ass white page of how the world is split up politically. Really, really cool. I, this, there's no way for me to, like, just explain to you why it's so cool. You just have to go look at it. There's, there's so many, like, tiny little Easter eggs and things. I'm so down. And then in the end, um, either Reed Richards was made into Doom, or the maker just put him in this horrible metal mask to keep him silent or limited. I don't know. Either way, it's kind of nightmarish. <laughs> and we end up with uh, Far Off in the Future, when the superheroes learn that they failed this universe. Um, Kang in a Tony Stark like Iron Man suit shows up, so really not sure... Uh, Tony Stark does have an odd, not Tony, but his dad actually is the one with an odd role in this. So I guess that's what we're going to be finding out what happens with his dad, that he outsmarts the baker and somehow gets Kang the Conqueror an Iron Man suit. And then we have Doctor Strange number seven, which as you know, I'm reading for Clea. Uh, this 5,000 year old war Doctor Strange, or General Strange, I guess, he asks Clea to come with him so she can be not a wet nurse to this strange, but a warlord in her prime. And girl, do it! I want to see that! Girl! <laughs> I'm into it. Um, and I guess he kidnaps the baby before he goes. I had totally forgot, like, all of the rest of the plot, because I took, like, two issues out to do this whole, like, sidebar, let's talk about War Strange. It's like, okay. 
meanwhile, we forget about everything else happening in the series. But basically, what we kind of figured out here, the blasphemy cartel that Clea started firing in, firing, fighting in the Strange series, which I still want to call Supreme because it would have been a much better title, um, they work for the Trinity of Ashes, who is the ancient enemy in the war that the General Strange fought for 5,000 years against. That's why the cartel is being so ballsy, because the Vishanti, who were on the General's side of the war, they broke their ceasefire or whatever when the General was freed after Strange died. And so the Trinity of Ashes, their ancient enemy, the response was the blasphemy, blasphemy cartel and everything that comes along with it. So that's why that's happening. Um, and then General Strange is planning on completely messing the baby up before it's even born, so it's born like a great big horror show, which I, I, I'm not gonna lie, I cringed hardcore when I read that. My man, Jed McKay, you do not need to cause more female suffering for a man's cause, my dude. I know the baby's not even born yet, but come on. She doesn't need to start out a villain just because this one dude wants to, like, yeah, let's you know, let's use more female characters and just make them just completely destroy them for a man's cause. Super not into it. I've been saying the same phrases over and over again in this podcast. I gotta stop. Uh, the finale of Silk, Silk number five. Real quick, Cindy goes back under and to sleep in the dream realm, save her brother thanks to the evil lady's brother, brother against brother, or brother for brother actually. Um, and then they decide to jump from dream to dream to make the monster weaker, and they wear her out that way and are able to trap her and escape and everything's fine and dandy. Poison Ivy number 14. Uh, someone killed a construction worker with Ivy's poison or something. Um, and then there's more girl kissing because apparently G. Willow Wilson thinks that all lesbians are loose. Holy shit, it's really problematic. I can't believe they're actually letting her write this book like that. The amount of times that Harley and Ivy have cheated on each other in a not-open relationship. If it is open, they should be saying that. Plus the fact that G. Willow Wilson went on this whole Twitter rampage about how she read this article and she was like, oh, it's so stupid. It's so uh, insane that this woman wrote this article about cheating on her husband and she thinks she's morally superior. I read that fucking article, bitch. There was nothing about cheating on her husband. G. Willow Wilson, I have lost all respect for you. Between that, the me going back and responding to her on that tweet it's a whole other story you don't need to hear about that but she's writing <laughs> she's writing lesbians like they're all loose and just have sex with each other all the time in this poison ivy series and i genuinely don't know how she's getting away with that at dc comics because i thought that they tried to do better than that at least because that's really embarrassing to read as a uh queer woman and comic fan <laughs> very embarrassing to read how very obvious she's making it that every lesbian in this book is just loose because that's what lesbians are like right jewel wilson jesus christ anyway the issue ends with us finding out that woodruff would woodruff wilson whatever the frick his name was is the villain the floronic man he transformed himself from being like a wooden base thing to now he's like floral whatever <laughs> That brings us into the events, starting with Night Terrors. We're going to talk Night Terrors 4, and then the ending two shots for Superman, Wonder Woman, Catwoman, Punchline, Nightwing, Action Comics, Detective Comics, Harley Quinn, Angel Breaker, all very quickly, Titans, and then Night Terrors, Night's End, which finishes off Night Terrors, and then we'll go into the Bat-Cat War and talk about what the heck's happening there. So, Night Terrors issue 4 
Damien, Batman, and the Sandman are at Arkham. They keep dozing off as they try to get through the building so it's not going too well. They apparently do find Insomnia's human body locked up there. And Boston Brand, a.k.a. Dead Man, will use the Nightmare Stone to find the root of his pain and destroy it, supposedly ending all of this. Um, so the dude, Insomnia, uh, his family died when the Justice League were not there to help, so he took it personally. Um, so then Insomnia and Dead Man argue in his dreamscape. Insomnia kills himself, which I guess brings the nightmares into the real world, uh, and everybody wakes up. And then I expected there to be more, and that was the end of the issue. So my notes, it literally says, oh, that's it. <laughs> um, and then Superman, number two, we have Kara nightmaring on Krypton, realizes it's a dream and breaks into Clark's nightmare. The Atlanteans are keeping the world safe as much as they are able, among the few others who remain awake, then are attacked by a nightmare monster. And in Metropolis, some cave person is watching Kara sleep in her office. Lois breaks into the same dream as them. They beat the Nightmare Superman and all wake up to beat the bad guys. Good for them. Wonder Woman Nightmares 2, fighting her nightmarish self with really, really inconsistent art. Uh, there's Attack on Titan, Wonder Woman, Gladiator, Wonder Woman, uh, Super Supreme Goddess, Zeus, Wonder Woman. Uh, there's a lot of teeth going on. There's Gathering the Heroes in the Dreamscape that she's in, uh, so they can all break out together, and then a Nubia backup story with art by Megan Hedrick, and she wakes up in bed with her wife, Io. Catwoman, Night Terror's Catwoman 2, there is one brilliant panel of a completely cross-eyed Catwoman for absolutely no reason except for primarily rushed art. Uh, there is a teen Joker, I don't know what the heck the rest of that was supposed to be, honestly, and it ends with her waking up in bed. Good for her. Punchline 2, she dreams of being ripped up by various Anons online. It's very Gen Z of her. Uh, Electro Batgirl is still after her, and she faces off with insomnia and then wakes up around her gang. Nightwing number 2, still dreaming that he's in Arkham for killing Batman. Babs in Inmate 2 and the rest of the Bat family. Babs is all messed up machinery like Oracle, and then he fights Batman in the circus and wakes up but wishes he could see how it had ended, which is lame in my opinion. Action Comics 2 was by Leah Williams for the Supergirl story that continued. Paige keeps dreaming of, sorry, Power Girl. Paige keeps dreaming of her bestie Omen uh, trying to kill her. The dream suggests that she really is afraid of Omen IRL, so she wakes up, wakes up Omen, and then they see what a nightmare is outside, pun intended. The other super family that I don't understand is the second story. Bunch of action stuff, zombies, they wake up, the end. Detective Comics 2 was a great story. was great art on a very mid-story. Uh, Babs breaks apart in front of her dad, literally. He wakes up and there's something about a watch. I don't know. Harley Quinn 2. Harley as the heroic Harlequin, leading a member of the Justice League. Meets up with Pam, all romantic style, is interrupted by Brainiac, wakes herself up, and then there's stuff about the space-time lady in the current Harley Quinn series. She leaves, the end, I think, and a second story of old lady Harley meeting up with regular Harley. Angel Breaker, no idea who this is or why I should care. It's just creepy monsters fighting in gore and they're still asleep in the end. Titans, number two, the Titans are fighting their nightmarish selves. They're all trapped in the tower's nightmare. It was Bloodhaven Private Prison, which makes sense why it has all the nightmares. And then they all fight and beat their villains to wake up to go join the rest of the heroes in the end. And finally, Night Terror's Night's End. The heroes beat Insomnia, um... And then some hero, who's yet unnamed, has made themselves into Dr. Hate on behalf of Amanda Waller. So, 
they're still pushing this Waller thing really hard, so we'll see where that goes for the rest of the year. And then we have the Batcat War, Gotham War, I'm not sure what it's called. But it's the new event that's happening between Batman and Catwoman at DC Comics. This one, uh, we had the first issue was called Battle Lines, uh, which basically goes and explains that uh, Bruce was in a coma for two months after the Night's End event because he was taken over by Deadman for so long, so his body had to heal. He still has that Zurin Ra Batman, um, which was previously, I believe, a Morrison project from another reality, but now... And the pre in the current Batman, just a few ser issues ago, was the arc that um, Zurin Ra was actually like the failsafe for if ba if Bruce Wayne couldn't do Batman properly anymore, this guy would come out and fix it because he's like the boss Batman, the black and like Batman's black and white. But this guy is like you even suggest there's a term gray, he will shoot you in the face. This is Batman with no holes barred. This is Batman killing people because they pocket they they pocket picked pickpocketed uh some rich guy you know this is that batman so basically bruce as after he comes out of this coma finds out that selena is training um all of the low lowlifes of gotham to do like high class high wealth crimes um, and how to how to get in and out of buildings quietly and you know go into high rises how to get into safes so basically, she's wiped out violent crime in Gotham by giving them a better alternative. Batman, of course, is mad about that. We know he's wrong. Um, but anyway, because of the Zur and Ra Batman still being trapped in his subconscious as a failsafe, I don't know how he, why he doesn't get rid of it if he could. Um, he must not have been able to. So because he's still trapped in there, he's now influencing Bruce to such an extent that Bruce is going above and beyond, basically, to try and stop Selina. So that brings us into Batman 137, which came out last week. Uh, Batman is beating up low-level criminals stealing from the rich, but okay, buddy, keep sucking. That is my notes that I wrote while reading it. Even the Bat family, like Dick and Babs, are saying that he's out of control. They send Jason in to try and get him to stop to see reason. It obviously does not work. Meanwhile, there's a new Legion of Doom of sorts uh, that's happening in Gotham. And they're, basically all the rogues are trying to add terror back into the Gotham Knights because they don't like what Selina's been doing. So instead of meeting up with Jason, Bruce slash Batman goes to Selina's base in Alleytown and destroys it and beats everybody up. She's not there, which he knew because she was going to have a meet up with Jason. Uh, so then in the end, he ends up fighting the Bat family and obviously it does not go well for them. <laughs> but... Uh, at least now we know, literally everybody in Gotham, besides possibly the the uh, Rose Gallery who wants to get Doom and Terror back into the streets, um, everybody else is on Catwoman's side, so even the Bat family, so we'll see how this goes. Hopefully it ends with him getting that dang failsafe out of his head, because why? <laughs> uh, anyway, that leaves us into Marvel events, which I'm going to start off really quickly with Contest of Chaos. This is not one that I'm actually keeping up with, but I heard that Clea was around, so I uh, tracked down a couple of issues and kind of skimmed them a bit. Basically, uh, Clea is helping Jessica Jones and Spider-Man figure out why various superheroes are battling each other. 
spoiler alert, it's Agatha Harkness. So then while she's discovering what's going on, she's like mid magical spell, uh, Agatha kind of pushes her to the like spirit realm or whatever. Um, and tells her she needs her to trust her, which obviously, mm, bitch, no. Um, but I'm, I'm curious if they're, they're putting Clea in more than one thing right now. So I'm very curious if they're actually trying to keep her relevant or if it's just convenient. I don't know. I like to think that they're actually trying. <laughs> what do I know? Uh, so that leaves us with the last section for, for comic books, the fall of X. There's a lot to talk about. We're going to talk starting with Dark X-Men, which I have a lot to say about because, I mean, Madeline Pryor is my girl. Uncanny Avengers, Jean Grey, Realm of X, and then Invincible Iron Man number 9, Ms. Marvel the New Mutant, X-Men 26, and Immortal X-Men 15. That'll wrap up what we've been currently reading in comics. So, Dark X-Men number 1, my girl, the Goblin Queen. I'm just going to read off my notes here. I might interject a little bit to explain further if my notes weren't well enough. But here we go. I think it's interesting how quickly they were able to solidify Limbo as being home to Maddie, a place she'd never been before the New Mutants arc with Vita Ayala, um, where she becomes its ruler. However, I still love that. The way it makes sense so well has a lot to do with why it caught on so fast. When One line that she says, Flames of envy and wrath, always justified, have consumed most of her hard-worn existence. Yes, queen, it has. Go, girl, I believe in you. Sorry. Not sorry. Uh, but the familiar smell of snow and pine is also there, a reference to her once briefly happy days with Scott in Alaska just before they had their baby or found out that she was pregnant around the same time. She dreams of death on a snowy mountain, holding Alex's three-arc headpiece. Yes, that is foreshadowing. She wakes to him calling her awake as she dresses in their room at the Limbo Embassy in New York. We last saw Maddie in her embassy after the Hellfire Gala, where a number of mutant refugees had taken shelter. Peter Parker was concerned about her prisoner, Chasm slash Ben Rally slash his brother clone. And Hollow's Eve was trying to break him out. Maddie magically kicked out intruders in order to get rid of Spider-Man, and that included Hollow's Eve mid-rescue. Sorry, not sorry, Ben. Protesters gather in the early morning outside the embassy, and Maddie witnesses still, as Maddie witnesses, still wrapped up in her sheet. She and Alex speak on it briefly. Yes, Alex credits the bigots for their inventiveness. As she walks away, she burns her sheets, and they transform into her new costume. By Alex's reaction, it sounds like this is not unusual for her to do. Get it, girl. We see a spread of monsters, of monster-style mutants living with demons and goblins in her embassy as they take a walk through, and the two of them arrive at her destination. She says something I should have used the moment I heard Jean's psychic death scream. This brings in some really interesting and satisfying depth to her relationship with her clone sister. They did it really well beginning in the end of Dark Web, reminding us all that Jean shares Maddie's memories of betrayal and loss. She took them on when Maddie killed herself in the original Inferno story, so of course she can connect to all of Maddie's rage and pain. They finally hash that out, and I soak up absolutely any and all material of them being played out like sisters, so my point is I am dibbing the absolute shit out of this. Whew. So anyway, she tells Alex about the gate, uh, sorry, the deaths on Genosha, you know, years ago when Charles's parasitic twin, as she says, but that's for real though, uh, used sentinels to annihilate mutant kind. It was highly traumatic for surviving telepaths. 
who felt the death cries of all other mutant telepaths on Genosha. She says when Nimrod attacked the Gala, Dean's death cry was the only one she heard, meaning there are potentially question marks amount of mutants hiding slash awaiting rescue somewhere. She says they slaughtered merely a handful of us at most. Yeah, bitch, you fucking know it. Only smart person in the room. She has what she calls the mercy crown. She wants to use it to track them down because she says she can't wait for them to come to her for safety like the few that already have. She says, you should know by now that I'll wage war on anything, on anyone, if I think it's just. Fuck yeah, girl, I love you. Although I want to know how long they've spent deciding if she was going to say think or no. I'm very curious uh, on the deciding reasoning. Also, what happened to... Oh, sorry. I got ahead of myself. In Queens, meanwhile, we see a few of the kids from Vita Ayala's Children of the Atom series trying to hide their mutantdom from their parents, etc. What happened to Vita Ayala? They were on such a high point for Marvel. I already answered that question. They did that one... Uh, Marvel Voices X-Men intro, which was very, very well written, as their work always is, but I would really love to see them back in comics. Um, respect, though, to whatever they're doing. At the uh, last second, Maddie ends up coming in. Sorry, I just skipped a bunch of stuff again. Ignore that. So one of the girl's dads turns in Carmen, who is one of the mutants, and armed forces comes to get her. They knock her out and take her to an Orcus re-education camp. Their convoy is interrupted by a bunch of X-Men, Angel and Remy, and some other guy. The guards activate Mecha Wolverine to attack them, and then Orcus backup arrives, and that includes Sentinels. There's a white page that I frankly skimmed. I also think it's interesting that Orcus hasn't tried to push Maddie out of her New York limbacy yet. New York Embassy? Yeah, <laughs> Limbacy. Limbacy, that works. Limbo Embassy. Um, at least in, in Limbo, they are not Orcus's problem, but they haven't even tried to push them back, so I'm not sure what's happening there. At the last second um, of this attack, Maddie comes in with her crew, calling themselves the X-Men. Yas, queen, I am here for it. Alex is stabbed in the throat. She does play it off for a second by saying that he ruined their debut and tells Azazel to bring them home. They end up leaving Warren behind, who was taken to an Orcus black site. Orcus has Battleworld Ileana. I think it's Battleworld Ileana. It could be Battleworld Maddie. I'm not 100% sure. I gotta reread that series. Uh, the Goblin Queen to battle her. They somehow got her to... I don't know. They're, they're gonna send her to sick her on Maddie. So, that was the Hickman Battleworld. So, that was a messed up story, too, because she completely, like, destroyed... Like, what they did to, uh... Nightcrawler in this recent one, right? Uh, the future um, Sins of Sinister. That's what she did to Nightcrawler in the Battleworld Limbo. So the world's going to be dark. <laughs> there is a second story. Uh, it takes place a week into Limbo being an embassy. Jennifer Walters is helping them out, telling Alex that Maddie really needs to be at these legal meetings. She then pops in, saying her ears were burning, and he says, Maddie, I thought we talked about doing things less violently, because she's been clearly murdering. Maddie asks Azazel what he can do for her. She then visits Chasm, who is all emo and stuff, and tells him that he doesn't have that she didn't have to leave him in relative peace here. There's a moment on her side from the Marvel Pride story this year. Uh, and then dinner with Jean and Scott, who Alex tells he's found purpose helping Maddie here, which is good. There's a scene of Maddie shaking hands with Sim, and then Alex takes a hot bath and Maddie wrap, uh, warps in covered in blood. She just wants him to be silent and comforting. 
The next day, they battle some guys, uh, and the repetition narrative of Alex Summers as a man in search of purpose ends with, and by God, Madeline Pryor knows it. I'm really confused about that phrasing, because does that mean that they're going to try and frame her for being the f at fault for his death, or that she was giving him what he needed all along? It's very confusing the way they laid that out, so we'll have to wait and see. Uncanny Avengers number one, I forgot how... Uh, it was their weird Captain Krakoa clone that, like, attacked DC or Captain America or whatever. Captain Krakoa is supposed to be Scott. Whoever it is that's being Captain Krakoa right now is clearly not Scott. Uh, ben Urich does the point of view for the first section of the, of the issue. He's questioning the current official story, which is the X-Men purposely tainted their medicines for the humans as Orcus brought to light. And that Cyclops was the Captain Krakoa who attacked DC back in the Free Comic Book Day Uncanny Avengers issue this past May, and then later, I think, Captain America on the Hellfire Gala night. Yurik believes Orcus is orchestrating all of these events in order to create public distrust and eventually topple the whole Krokoan government. Orcus has been forcing the mutants who didn't leave onto Mars slash Oraco. Uruk has a friend on the inside, Psylocke, a.k.a. Quanin. She works on freeing trapped mutants from Orcus alongside Monet slash Penance. Cat finds them and, to their surprise, asks them to join his new Avengers team. He's already got Deadpool, Rogue, and Quicksilver. Clearly one of these is the actual clone that was unboxed by Stasis in the beginning of the issue. We were led to believe that that was them making Captain Krakoan clone. However, I think it would be very easy to assume that was uh, supposed to look that way, but it's actually going to be revealed that was one of these other characters, either Cap, Deadpool, Rogue, or Quicksilver. Outside of the Yurk narration, uh, we see the New Brotherhood, led by whoever it is that the Captain Kokoa is now, apparently not Scott. I'm a touch confused, but I guess it doesn't matter right now. He goes under the under Krakoa and releases the Strucker kids, Andrea and Andreas, which who the hell came up with those names? <laughs> the new Avengers team meets literally underground with Tony and Emma, as well as Rasputin, Shadowcat, and Ms. Marvel, whose suit is still absolute booty. They end up going up against um, the Captain Krakoa team, who are calling themselves the New Mutant Liberation Front, and the issue ends with Captain Krakoa breaking Captain America's arm. I feel like that's problematic, but whatever. Jean Grey number one is by Louise Simonson and Bernard Chang. It is definitely a series made for her ultimate stands. This issue was basically Jean going through her memories, some real, some fake, some warped, and finding where, quote, where it all went wrong. Realm of X number one sees magic, Danny Moonstar, Dust, and Typhoid Mary and Vanaheim, plus Marrow and Curse. Uh, Curse, I guess, can make can make you do whatever she says, whether or not you will it, I'm, I think. But I think she has, like, pain that comes along with it. I'm not quite sure. We get Saturnin also is back in the circle. Saturnin is a character I don't care about very much. Um, but she's sticking around, so there we go. Invisible Iron Man number nine, we have Tony and Anna meeting up literally underground. He comforts her and she shies away from his hand. Um, they ask, what if they're all dead? Then you avenge him, and Emma on, on the Avengers win. I, I really want to see that. He leaves Emma alone to go do, you know, Tony stuff, and then brings back her disguise gear. She helps him when he has a panic attack going into his brain and stuff. I'm still not seeing marriage bonds grow here at all, but okay. But then they get to the point, they say, so an alliance to their deaths, to their deaths. 
Okay, so yeah, it's a political marriage. We get that now. And she says, I hate stifling who I am so that small man could avoid discomfort. Bitch, same. And then we get Kingpin doing Kingpin stuff at the end. Ms. Marvel, the new mutant. She wakes from a recurring dream in the beginning. I definitely think that the basis of the dream is going to be revealing what her mutant power is slash what her secondary mutation is. I'm not sure how they're going to play that one out. But anyway, she is going to a new Orcus-funded college because they can't detect that she's a mutant. She's working with the X-Men literally underground. The art on this issue was 11 out of 10. Easy. The lettering was maybe 4 out of 10 tops because there were some spaces missing between words. I don't know how they fucked it up that bad. Um, there are... Um, there's an attack on... Uh, in New York, where a tortured Chitari alien tries to attack a bus and then he dies and explodes. People are too much when they find out, so she runs. People are being too much. Uh, they find out she's a mutant. She shows up in her X-Men suit, which is absolute ass. Uh, and they are like, whoa, what the heck? And so she runs off. Basically, all the students are brainwashed to hate mutants, so I'm not sure why she's even, what she's getting out of being undercover here. <laughs> um... And is that the whole world being brainwashed? And is it even brainwashing because everybody believes the mutants killed all the humans who were taking their medicines? I don't know. It's not really brainwashing, is it? <laughs> it's just tricking. And then X-Men 26. Emma is being framed as a helpless little woman. What the actual hell? In the new Hellfire Club, Fisk is the white king and Tony is the black king. It absolutely disgusts me. I hate men. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about that. <laughs> Or I, I dislike these men being in charge. That's that's better. Uh, Kate learns about Starfire being undercover. Or, sorry, Firestar. Jeez, I haven't done that in a while. Firestar being undercover. Uh, and then Iron Man is marrying Emma's false identity, apparently. So that, feel, that feels like a sham. <laughs> uh, Immortal X-Men number 15. We learn that Celine is basically purgatory from Dynamite. She consumes memories when she eats somebody. Although Purgatory doesn't do that anymore because they depowered her. Mm -hmm. She wants the bones of the external gate so that she can resurrect her fellow externals. I don't really get how they all became a part of the gate and what the gate does, frankly, but whatever. Orcus uh, meant to send the mutants to Mars when they went through the gates on the Hellfire Gala. The fact that they aren't on Mars means that no one actually knows where they went. Um, so then we see where they went. It is nowhere, no when, according to the narration. Uh, the whole exodus taking them to a promised land alongside Hope, their messiah, is literally so funny to me. Um, I just find it so ironic. And, and then Destiny has this whole page of, it's called Destiny's Diary of the Krakoan Despora, Day 9. Bitch, what? <laughs> you dramatic asshole. <laughs> Um, and then in the end, Apocalypse, some version possibly of Apocalypse shows up with some version of Jean slash the Phoenix on a chain, uh, Leia style, slave Leia style. So I'm not sure what I missed, but that's, that's the catch up with comics. That's the end of Fall of X. We made it. <laughs> we'll catch up with more next week. All right. So real quick, new comics coming out this week, the 12th and 13th of September, uh, in no particular order. It's mostly alphabetical, actually. There's a lot of number ones. Let's get excited. Alligator Loki from Marvel Comics. The Alternates from Dark Horse Comics. Uh, I believe this has Patton Oswalt on the team. Yes, we have Tim Seeley, Patton Oswalt, Jordan Blum, 
Christopher Mitten and Tess Fowler as the writers, so look forward to that, I suppose. Um, we got Avengers Incorporated, which is uh, Wasp and Vision, so that's kind of cool. That's number one. And we have Batman Catwoman Prelude to the Gotham War, that's what they're calling the Gotham War. Batman and Robin number one, which is by Joshua Williamson. Take that or leave it. Um, Gotham War issue is going to be by Chip Zarsky and Teeny Howard. Teeny Howard has been a disappointment, but that's okay. Um, let's see, where were we? We also have Batman Gargle of Gotham by Raphael Grandpa. You bet your booty I'm excited for that. Uh, I love DC Black Label. <laughs> I don't think there's been any DC Black Label that I've started that I have decided not to finish because I didn't like it. It's been pretty great. Uh, Captain Marvel, Dark Tempest over there at Marvel, issue number three. Children of the Vault, issue two. And then from Image, Kelly Thompson's The Coal, number two. We talked about that one a little bit ago. I'm super into it. Uh, Daredevil, number one, with the new team of, let's see... We've got Saladin Ahmed and Aaron Cooter. Very interesting combination there. This is a funny sounding one from What Not Publishing. Harriet Tubman, Demon Slayer, number one. This is David Crownson and Cortland Ellis, if you've ever uh, heard those names before. IDW is putting out Kill More, number one. Dark Horse, St. John, number one. And then back at Marvel, Spine Tingling, Spider-Man, number zero, which is a alt-reality story by Saladin Ahmed. Again, he's having a good month, a good week, I guess. IDW puts out Star Trek, Picard's Academy, and then back at Marvel, Werewolf by Night, number one, which I believe is unfortunately a one-shot but we've got Derek Landry and Fran Galen on this one, as well as Elsa Bloodstone starring. So I'm into it. I'm here for it. Well, once again, I keep repeating the same phrases on this episode. I am sorry. <laughs> All right. So that brings us to TV, movies, anime, and more. I'm excited. You're excited. Let's let's go ahead and start this. Um, we're going to talk all the new and noteworthy stuff and what I've been watching We'll go through some news, and then we'll talk, uh, once Adam gets here, we'll talk Harley Quinn and Ahsoka, which has been really the first half of the show so far. And that is going to be through tonight's episode, um, which I believe is episode five, I want to say. Yeah, episode five. So if you haven't seen through episode five, hold off, because we will be spoiling it for you otherwise. So starting off with the new and noteworthy, I said I was going to talk the Dreamlight Valley update, and here we go. So this is the seventh update. It's September 13th, update patch notes is what they got the article about it. Obviously, we're getting the Beauty and the Beast realm, the two new characters of Belle and the Beast, their friendship quests to get items and things. Uh, Ursula's Transformation Dream Bundle will be in the premium shop, um, which has new styles and stuff. Ursula can transform into her Vanessa form, or the human form, whatever the name is. I think it's Vanessa, right? Um, outfits, accessories, furniture... We're doing the trick-or-treat holiday star path with pirates as well as haunted things. Uh, new quests help the Forgotten settle into the valley over the course of the update with a series of new quests. Hopefully that means they get friendship levels. There's going to be more items coming to the premium shop, including the iconic hill from um, Nightmare Before Christmas, which is pretty fun. And I wonder if it's going to be like a one we can actually like walk up, or is it just going to be like this funny little twist that will stick out of the ground? Because that would be dumb. Anyway, 
new Dream Snap challenges, a candy event again from October 24th to November 1st, so that's a little while away. Uh, you get more fences and paths when crafting fences and paths. And then uh, stuff that was previously exclusively found in pouches can now be found in Scrooge's store. That one I am very, very much excited for, particularly because Scrooge's store has been a massive disappointment over the past few months and past few updates. There has been just masses of nothing and stuff that I already have and pretty much not a lot else. So really, really excited for this update. I just happen to be off tomorrow and the next day, so I'm going to be blasting my butt through that um, and having a lot of fun. So I hope you will be too, and I will definitely be making a video about the update on my YouTube channel. As it is about mid-September now, we, for a month or so, have already been going seeing a lot of announcements of anime coming at the end of the month slash first week of fall, or sorry, first week of October or so, and that's going to be the fall anime season. I'm guessing within the next episode or two, we're going to have the actual dates for all of those shows and all of their English dubs, so that's really exciting. I'll be able to go through all of that with you guys, and we'll see what our fall anime season is going to be looking like. I did watch Elemental, the Pixar movie. It was really good. Um, yeah, I did. I was just trying to think of what to add. the The male main character really took some getting used to. I absolutely hated him. I still don't think he's a really great character, but it worked for the plot. Anyway, uh, Adventure Time with Fiona and Cake episodes one through four are up on HBO slash Max, whatever you want to call them now. They change it up too often. Um, it's quite a trip. It's definitely not for kids, if you were to ask me. But what do I know? A Wheel of Time, Season 2, Episodes 1 through 4 are also up. I had to rewatch episode the first season to really get a grasp of what it was that I just watched. Um, season 2 has been good so far. Yeah. Not sure why the demon guy is still around and why he's working for somebody else, but that's... That, that whole, like, jump scare of them kicking the dude's face onto the pike, who could not see that coming? They put him right in front of it. He refused to bow. Like, it was obviously... It was not... It was supposed to be, like, some shocking thing. Nothing about that was shocking. <laughs> uh, I've also been watching Grown-ish, which has gotten to a point at the end of season three that there's a little bit too much, like, Hollywood-type drama going on in it for me, but it's really entertaining. I've been watching it with Adam. It's fun to have on while we hang out. Uh, and then we started Killing Eve. We got a couple episodes in so far. Um, when we have time, we'll probably go back and watch it some more because it was very intriguing, I was surprised to find. As for new English dubbed animes that have been coming out, Attack on Titan, the final season, the final chapter, special one. That is the full title for this ass... This, for, this, for this thing. It was an hour long. It was. It's good. It's good. Um, please don't recommend Attack on Titan as people's first anime. I've seen a lot of that recently. Please don't. It's a terrible idea. That's how you get somebody to hate anime forever. <laughs> uh, my love story with Yamada-kun at level 999 is adorable. I was reading the manga, and I've, the series is already, uh, for where it's at with the English dubs, just like the first three episodes or something, is already almost caught up with where I've read to, so I need to, I need to read some more so I don't get behind. The Dangers in My Heart has been on high dive 
really funny. Uh, this kid who thinks he wants to murder this girl, but he's really in love with her. <laughs> uh, Zom 100 has been really fun. There is also um, a couple of cameos in the in one of the later episodes. I want to say it was episode six. There were some cameos of Zombieland Saga voice actresses playing certain zombie characters. So that's kind of fun. Uh, the Duke of, Duke of Death and His Maid season two is really nice. Obviously, I caught up with the first season. It was very cute. And then Tonikawa, Over the Moon for You, High School Days, had all four episodes dubbed a few weeks ago. Uh, very sweet. And then, have I talked about Kuromi's Pretty Journey yet? I'm not sure. Every now and then there is another dubbed episode of that. They're only about a minute and a half long, but they're super fun, and I want more Kuromi merch. Meanwhile, I have caught up on and slash rewatched. I watched Invasion on Apple TV. Uh, season 2 has now premiered, so... Uh, it's pretty decent so far. It's interesting. I like it. Jury Duty on Freebie, I can't recommend. I, I really can't recommend enough. I haven't laughed that hard about something that delightful. In a while. It, was, it, was, it was amazing. I Super, super good. And by the time you get to the final episode, like, kind of heart-wrenching in a good way, too. So Demon Lord Retry is one that I tried. It's very mid, so I don't think I got very far. Uh, Vivi, Fluorite Eyes Song, I actually rewatched. It's still amazing. Remake Our Life, I didn't get very far in either. It's okay. And then Devil is a Part-Timer, they have season, I want to say season two going right now that I've been watching. Uh, I caught up with all of season one. It's very good. I recommend that one as well. So that's what we've been watching, besides obviously Harley and Ahsoka, which we'll talk about in a minute here. Uh, the last thing before we invite Adam to join us here, uh, a couple of, couple of news. Uh, first off, Blue Lock. We're getting a movie, an anime movie for Blue Lock. It's going to be coming in spring of 2024. The Netflix Scott Pilgrim animated series is premiering November 17th. And then, uh, let's see, we already got The Dangerous in My Heart. That's actually old news. Let me just delete that. <laughs> oh, awkward laugh. Um, there is a new live-action Godzilla series, Monarch Legacy of Monsters. That's the Apple TV one. It's premiering this fall. Uh, My Home Hero Manga is getting a live-action TV series, which I think is pretty exciting, and a movie as well. And then, um, if you've been keeping up with the, um, legendary Warner Brothers, Lord of the Rings, War of the Rohirrim series, unfortunately that has been delayed, as well as a few other series coming from Legendary and Warner Brothers. And finally, um, we have the English streams for the Penguin Drum films, have been streamed on High Dive. I think that was actually last week, so it's old news, but there you go if you didn't hear about it already. Um, so I think that's pretty much it for new for the news. If you want to read more about any of those very briefly mentioned topics, I have the links to those articles in the description of the video of the podcast. Whatever this is. <laughs> so today is Friday. It has been number day. Tuesday was when I was recording there. We're a little behind, but it's okay because we have a lot to talk about. Mostly for a so honest that's we're all here for. Harley Quinn, we've seen, oh gosh, it was, it looks like, I think most of the fourth season to cover. Pretty much, um, she and Ivy were going in separate directions. Harley's trying to be a hero, Ivy was being, you know, she's always wanting to be 
white, there was so much more like silver. Maybe I kind of edge to it and like those type stuff. Obviously not her. And then the end of the season, Harley finds out that she had a clone who killed Lightning. Batgirl has become Oracle proper. And now they're back being villains together. Sometimes Harley could get them. Have I got that right? Adam's here, by the way. Yes. Uh, more or less. Um, yeah, pretty much like uh, what I appreciate is like at the moment of the Everest season, we thought they were going to pull apart the most. They kind of like rubber banded back yes. together and became stronger than ever. Yes. Uh, and then also, I loved, and then like, you know, because basically at, at the end of the. Then, oh, oh, uh, Lex going on like his full thing of losing his mind of watching Ivy become into power of the Legion of Doom and then go from like the head honcho to like this guy who's suddenly self conscious about his blood sore. Like he's like getting hair plugs, blowing out his calves to like look tough and strong. And then to eventually, um, in, the, in this most recent episode, like he literally kidnaps Superman and steals his fucking hair. Like, and then he also clapped with the, uh, the uh, I guess, the, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's from the New 15 Mutant, like, green suit. He has that whole, like, Superman's hair. Um, I think I was saying to you, like, yeah, super likes. It's amazing. It's so, like, I, I love how, like, this. Shout out to Juan, Carlos, Juan Carlo Esposito being such a sport, like, playing him, too. This is not a serious role at all. As well. And, like, he's a very serious actor and for him. I'm sure, like, some of them can appreciate coming in stuff like that. Just fuck off. You can have a little fun Yes, I can, I can have some of Yes, being this dark, serious businessman where it's like, that's very much real versus, like, this guy who's just so, like, out of touch with everything. Um, but uh, my favorite thing this episode is the Gotham City Sargent's, like, because, Yeah, because Catwoman is the one who's like, yeah, I got you guys here. Yeah. Kind of them all together, yeah, she did. She did basically her like you know sexy leather get up Nick Fury like I'm here to talk to you about the the Gotham City Sirens issue. Yeah, and then it's then you also have oh because he didn't do the whole thing of Joker shooting Barbara and now she's in the wheelchair and it looks like they're gonna do the full walk. So yeah, yeah, and it's and it's funny I think that we both said it, like oh yeah we were curious about what they're gonna do for season. Five and now it's like, oh man, I feel like we can it's worth getting vital so much more than Yeah, that's assuming they do. I haven't looked at it all, but I have I see no reason for them not to have to do season five after yeah. everything. Obviously the DC game over this kind of up in the air. It means a lot of things to be Who knows that is? So I really okay, this didn't feel like it's going to it felt like, honestly, a little bit of uh, It felt like how they ended Young Justice. Because uh, they ended Young Justice. We're getting more. The best absolute team for the, uh, the, the, ooh. Um, absolute great teams. It was going to be Arda. Supergirl. Um, Supergirl, which was a really That was one, and then Mary Marvel. And Mary Marvel, who was like a completely different take. Have. They've never really done any, I mean, they never have done anything with Mary Marvel in that universe, uh, which leaves them a ton of room to do anything. Anyway, that's not what this podcast is. 
The point being, I am the supreme advocate. The point is, if we're not going forward with the injustice, that would have been the best season, in my opinion. We had some weird stuff in the past. This last season was really cool with the lady. What is it? The, the, the words were from the evil people's prison. Oh, what is this from? No, no, no. It's, oh. it's the one where they said we were evil. Oh, the Phantom Zone. Phantom Zone. Yes. Uh, yeah, we know what we're talking about. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was pretty cool. But then I feel like, yeah, it was, uh, I was just saying that there's so much pretty cool. The best, plus it was, you know, Supergirl and whatever background they, they wanted to get her, which is the same thing. Same with Mary Marvel. Happens to them, I don't think they're interested in getting her whatever background you want. Boom! Smarter! Same thing! Like... It is what it is. I want to pour a little bit out of my We're looking forward to that. Not, not only that, but from my guy, his friends who are, who are still waiting for the season to expire. What does that have to do with it? Just leaving on an amazing thing where it's like, oh man, you're so excited for something. And then it's just like, disappears. Yeah, and then it just disappears. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hit us up in Yeah. That's a good one. That's, that's right, one that's so good. Yeah, really you love more. Yeah, Young Justice and Spider Man would be like, To round about, that's kind of why I don't want to call it. Yeah, there we go. It's such a great thing of like, and stuff, but you're giving you were getting bought into the siren for so much more life. Because we're snowballing off to the right and just a little bit more the series keeping it going in some weird, bizarre, predictable way. But it's in the best way possible. We're snowballing off to the right and big big snowballs. <laughs> I'm excited that I began because Gotham City Sirens plus Barbara oh, as yeah. Oracle. And then Heck also yeah, dude. Um, and then also the thing I said Harley is actually the one who saves Superman. She has a great yeah, line. Yeah, car- literally carries literally him out. Literally carries Superman style. out, like a rival style, and says, Hey, are you going to tell your buddies in the Hall of Justice that I'm fucking going to be saved? Yeah, she calls herself a So this is the first real coverage that we've done of the Ahsoka show, which we have been enjoying greatly, yes? Absolutely. And I'm just going to give a little preface here, just because things might go weird. 
uh, four or five beers in? I don't know. It's Friday night. I know I started this podcast on Tuesday and I meant to finish it Tuesday. That obviously didn't happen because we watched Ahsoka and then like freaked out. So let's talk about why. So Ahsoka's episode one, Ahsoka episodes one through five of eight, I think, I assume, of the... Six or eight, yeah. The, well, the, I swear to God, it better not be six. I'd yeah, be a they, little they, bit mad, because that is not enough to tell the story that I'm seeing played out here. Total period. dick move if it was only six. Um, We're seeing a lot, because we're seeing primarily, and most excitedly, and noteworthily, I don't know, um... The Clone Wars TV show and Rebels TV shows in live action aftermath. That is phenomenal for anybody who's been watching those. You will understand why excellence that is. Yeah, words are not coming out right. Who cares? Um, so we have Ahsoka, of course. It's obviously here we go. Uh, Anakin's Padawan. We have um. Sindula, uh, Harris Sindula, who was the, let's say, just partner of Kanan. Kanan, thank you. And they now have their son, Jace. Jason. Jason, um, who clearly has some connection to the Force. He's got the green hair his dad had. It's kind of cool. His mother is the, um, Twi'lek. Twi'lek kind of thing. Twi'lek, however you want to, however they canonically say it these days. Cool stuff. Awesome. That's from Rebels. Also from Rebels, we have... Oh, oh Sabine. I was just going to let you do that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sabine. Um, who started off the series... And Holocron Ezra. Yeah, so, so far. We're going to hopefully see Ezra actually on the show. So far, he's been a Holocron. I'm sorry, I don't know the actor's name who did that, but good for him. Um, Sabine was a wrestler IRL, correct? The actress... No, that Am was uh, that that was the uh, the Mandalorian chick. Okay, I got her mixed up. My bad. Um, but anyway, she started off the series with the long hair, and then by episode what two, she cut it all off to I don't know. That was episode one, was it? And uh, sure. episode one, yeah, whichever it was. Um, she cut it all off basically to signify that she was ready to go back to being Ahsoka's Padawan, basically. Because uh, she'd spent years without that, and now, oh gosh, we're seeing so much stuff from Rebels, like the white Ahsoka outfit, which I know you want to talk about, and the uh, the whales. Oh my God, whales! The space whales. Um, so let's see. Starting kind of from the beginning, what 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 is necessary information? We really just have that uh, they're looking for Ezra, Ahsoka, and Sabine kind of match up through Hera. And there is the Sith holocron sort of thing, right? It's that it's, has a location of so, potentially. Okay, go ahead. Go, yeah. go do what you're gonna do. So, so what they're kind of like loosely, very much loosely in a way they're doing is the heir to the empire storyline, where somehow, some way, they Thrawn is coming in to take over things and like basically pick up wherever Palpatine left off. <laughs> Um, which of course checks out with this dude. He would always have some sort of weird contingency plan. And they kind of did the, the clone story from Legends more or less with Snoke and all that kind of stuff. We're not going to get into the weeds on that right now. <laughs> um, but where this kind of picks up is is it's uh, the, the murmurings are starting to really get serious that Thrawn actually is 
could potentially be coming back and their sources are reliable. Okay. And so it's kind of the whole thing of like, all right, we got to get the old, we got to get the old, we got to get the band back together because, you know, for us who have seen this war, we cannot let the Empire come back. You know, we're, we're in the beginnings of the New Republic right now. Can we cover, can you cover briefly for those who maybe didn't see Rebels, what the, who Thrawn was and how, how that ended for him? Yeah, so what Just Thrawn, what, yeah, what Thrawn was is that basically, um, uh, Tarkin and uh, Palpatine were grooming him to be the the next step up for them. You know, th like he was basically number three in charge of them. Um, so at that point, uh, the the whole team of well, shit, Kanan was already gone. Rest in peace. At that point in time, um, so it was it was Ezra, Sabine, um, Ahsoka, and Hera. Um, so they had gotten to that point, and basically what it had gotten to is that the it was it was kind of one of those moments where it comes to the paradigm of like either sacrifice myself or let this guy do his thing. So what Ezra does after watching Kanan make the ultimate sacrifice is makes the choice to jump into this this uh, Imperial Star Destroyer that's attached to uh, these Force-sensitive... Space whales. Yeah, Force-sensitive space whales that can actually jump through hyperspace naturally, like organically, through their body. Like, <laughs> it, insane, crazy, pure Star Wars stuff. Um, so what Ezra ends up doing is that he ends up forcing him and Thrawn to jump through that and just disappear into another dimension, another through time. We don't, we're not even Wherever sure. Wherever we the know. whales felt like going. Wherever the whales felt like going at that point in time. So then like, that's kind of how it ends. And this is very much like where Ahsoka picks up more or less like at the end of, um, this is, this is, this trying is, to track down where those whales. Went. Yes. And this is in the same timeline as Mando. So at this point, we're about six and a half, maybe seven years after episode six. So this is and very much been... after the empire's crumbled. It has been a, a good amount of time since they disappeared. Yes, I, I, I want to say, judging by the age of Jason, I would probably say it's been about 12, 12 maybe 15 years since all that's happened. It leaves a lot of questions in my mind about, like, what's out there? How would they be suspected to be even surviving if they don't even know where they went? There's a lot of questions about that to me, but that's frankly to be seen. Hopefully, later. that'll be answered. Yeah. So, so it's, this is kind of like this. This it starts out. I do give it to people. It does kind of start off kind of slow with Ahsoka kind of very much brooding, like not wanting to really fully get into the fight again mm -hmm. after being. Which you end up seeing why, which which I will get into. Which you end up seeing why <laughs> that she's very hesitant of getting into another long fight of things oh, yes. again. Oh yes. And bring. And especially bringing on Sabine as as a as a, as, as a Padawan and an apprentice for this. So basically, you end up kind of so to kind of you know jump forward things a little bit. You end up getting introduced into Ray Stevenson's character, who who has a Padawan who rest in peace. Which oh my god, the first not even Fantastic. kidding. I said it to you, episode one. I straight up said like when they had the title crawl and then he comes in and he's on the screen for like the first 10 minutes, I looked at Anna and I mm -hmm. said, straight up said, I thought I was watching a fucking movie. Like mm -hmm. I thought I was watching another Star Wars movie because he did it. the title crawl and his presence, like when they talk about an actor coming on and owning mm -hmm. the space of the screen, he did that. He understood this was Star Wars and the gravity of the character yeah. he was playing and like Jeff's kiss, Cinematic it, level Jeff's kiss as Kevin Smith likes to say, just Jeff's phenomenal it was great man like and it really hurt me to go you know he passed away but i can see why they casted him in this mm -hmm. and why they were like oh yeah we could probably potentially do more with him because his role and what he brought yeah. to this was great um 
I don't think that he was a Sith and he was not mm-hmm. a Dark Jedi. He no. straight up says he was a mercenary. Um, he had the dark blade because of probably the necessary move to get as far as he did. Yeah, and then he opinion. very much straight up says the point that, you know, Luke even drives home in The Last Jedi. I don't care. You can hate me all you want on Twitter. I don't care. Luke drives home the point. The arrogance of the Jedi is what, mm-hmm. what their failing was. And he straight, Ray Stevenson's character straight up says that, is that the arrogance is what failed them. And he ends up coming to see that. And that was why they did that. So he wanted to literally break himself Darth off completely. For them to get it. Yeah, he want, yeah, literally. And he knew exactly who Darth Vader was. He knew he was Anakin Skywalker. And that the fact that like, <laughs> yeah. And the fact that like that kind of thing happened. Um, so what they end up happening is that, um, he has this map that shows where these what where these whales are going to be and where Th- Thrawn might be. That's the Sith holocron thing, right? It might be a holocron. I'm not completely sure because it's, it not, gets, it's unconfirmed. Yeah, it gets unlocked by Dathomir witch magic, which dude, dude, I know I've talked about Dathomir yes. witches on this podcast before. Dathomir being the planet that Maul was from. Mm-hmm. And so they have the male the male subsect of the planet, right? And then they have the female, which is pretty much the witches. And you always see the force compared to magic and other things. It's not even a joke. The force is space magic. It's not even like we're not that it's literally if it's you laser think about swords it that way, point to point it makes sense. Yeah, it's it's laser swords and space magic. Yeah. And especially when you get into the witches who use in different terms, they use the force, but they call it what they call it magic, basically, and their own different And, and how it, cool it looked on the it, live and action, it's dude. green. Oh it, man. in the animated uh the Clone Wars is where you it's see like most of mist. the Witches of Dathomir. It's like this smoky green, like you know, Disney lime green evil witch mist sort yes, of thing. That's perfect. Yeah, that's a perfect. Yeah, it's it's yeah. the Disney evil green, which is like one of my favorite colors. <laughs> um, and then in the live action, what they've done it's pretty like, much is make it to like a laser beam, almost like yeah. a laser fire beam. Yeah. Um, and I didn't. Re- I felt so stupid. I didn't realize the character at first was one of the witches of Dathomir, and then she comes in the later on, and I think it was the second episode. She says. My home planet, Dathomir, mm-hmm. the witch. I was like, oh yeah, my god, up, I'm so straight stupid. Straight up name drops it How for How did I not get that? Well, well, no, because... It was beautiful. But she had the whole outfits and then the the red cloaks of the witches the of markings, Dathomir. The yeah. black and red. And the, mark, the skin markings. And oh my gosh, I... Like, I would recommend if you're into, like, obscure Star Wars stuff and you haven't seen the Clone Wars, look up the Witches of Dathomir episodes... You get some really cool Maul stuff. You get some. You get Maul's brother. Like, come on, man. We Even, get some sick Star Wars lore. Yeah, but yeah. There's like a thing too, wherever um, I think it was like I think it was Pablo Hidalgo. Like I think it was like almost ten years ago now. He tweeted out like whenever those episodes are airing, like a bunch of like concept art. So if like I'm pretty sure you can like Twitter search it and like yeah, it was like concept Amazing. art. Amazing. Yeah, it was concept art, and he was literally you know before Twitter got you know annoying, he was literally elaborating on the lore of the mm-hmm. witches of Dathomir in the tweets. So like if you were to go in like a deep dive of that, highly recommend it. But yeah, it's it's so the cool force, to see them come into this. The force is magic. The witches of Dathomir just don't pretend otherwise. Yes, that's like the only difference. They treat it like magic, whereas the Jedi treat it like this ethereal, eternal thing. Which it is still, but, like, you can just make it. It is what you want it to be, really. That's how Mm -hmm. eternal it is. So, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so loved that we got a live action witch. Love it. Yeah, so she was the uh, the, the same woman you saw in Mando season two that Ahsoka fights that Mando mm-hmm. gets the Beskar staff from. Yes, that so, was her staff. So her duty is to task Ray Stevenson to make sure they get this map to the point where they can plug it into. They never really. I'm pretty sure it's some sort of like force sensitive temple, somehow, some way that opens up this map. Um, so throughout the way, you kind of have Ahsoka and Sabine kind of battling out, going mm-hmm. through the will they, won't they, like, is she going to be my Padawan? Mm-hmm. You know, are we going to really work together? We really get to a point where it seems like, yes, she makes the choice. Yeah. But then it gets complicated when Ezra comes into the equation and mm-hmm. the map, and they have the map. But then all of a sudden they don't have the map. Ahsoka becomes out of the equation in the fight in a whole different scenario we'll get to. And it becomes just Sabine versus these two Siths. Well, not even Siths. Yeah, go for it. No, no, yeah. So so, so you kind of have those two going out through each other. And then you have Hera, who's the one who's like, I got you two together because yeah. I desperately need your help. I Sabine cannot... and Ahsoka is what we're talking yes, about. Yes, she's like, I cannot have Thrawn come back. I cannot have the Empire come back. We are just building the New Republic. We sacrificed too much. Yes, I know you two. Like, especially her. Oh, and also she has the first canon thing of Star Wars of a photograph because she has a picture of Kanan and the ghost, which crushed my heart. Oh my god. Um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's kind of her going like, I know you two have a rocky history together, but I really need you to get this, like, I really need you guys to put this aside and do it. Ghost and then, the yes, Ghost is the ship. <laughs> um, that coupled with, shout out to David Tennant as Hugh Yang. Oh yeah, as I forgot about Joy, that. Because those two, you know, those two were kind of the, the bonding force and the glue that really got this, this kind of like crew together. Of yeah, like, for sure. We're kind of like the first and last line of defense and in a way to do this. Yeah. They, they said centuries. They said that he'd been around. Like, he was one of the lightsaber like nope. teachers for the Padawans. It was, he's been a minute around. Yeah. So I love to think that somehow, some way, you know, years later after order 66, she went back and, you know, found him somewhere in the library some way still you know mm-hmm. got him back together but either way i love his character and i yes. love the david Tennant is in star wars he fits in fantastically <laughs> um so to get to the point of sabine that you were saying so yeah. yes we get to this climax of you know of of you know ray stevenson's character and his ahsoka disappears from the picture for other reasons yes he yeah he he, he kind of he, sabine. he more or less best her in a duel and kind of like kicks her off the cliff and then it it kind of been this whole thing of you know, uh, Ahsoka saying Sabine's not ready. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want her as a Padawan. Yeah. You know, she's not. And then know. accepting it because of circumstances, really. Yes, and then and then it was the whole thing of even Hugh Yang making the jokes of saying she's like I literally have more force sensitive in my pinky and I'm a robot. You know <laughs> that kind of thing. Kind of dickish, and then, but yeah. Kind of dickish, <laughs> but also it's like. Oh man! And then he kept saying to them, "Stay together." And the moment they break up, Ahsoka gets yep. kicked off the cliff. Sabine, First thing Sabine does. Sabine immediately falls to the dark side. Race. You can hear it like just. You, you hear the see, sounds of race. See, that's where kind I disagreed like, with uh, you a little bit. Where what, ha- what actually happened physically was she gave the map to Ray Stevenson's character, who was working for, of course, the dark side. Um. I don't see that as her falling to the dark side. I see that as her having... That's why I said earlier, 
when Ezra comes into the picture, things change for her. She was dedicated to being Ahsoka, in my mind, Ahsoka's Padawan, until it got to that point of Ezra or no, and she chooses Ezra, because the no option would be never, never again. Whereas the Ezra option would be, we might find Ezra, and we might also get forgiven by Ahsoka in the end if we do this okay. That's the way that I see it, because I feel like that's how she saw it. She was not, she wasn't giving over to the dark side when she handed him that. She was saving Ephesor, hopefully, because he's he's her weakness. And that's the whole thing why, of course, the Jedi said, oh, you can't have attachments and blah, blah, blah. Bullshit, whatever. That's still truth that he's her weakness. No, I, I I can actually see that. And also considering this is the same, you know, Sabine who 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 lost her Mandalorian family. Oh god, so much. Finds finds this new, you know, ragtag family, loses her adopted dad, loses her adopted brother. Her adopted big sister doesn't want to, you know, associate with her. Her adopted mm-hmm. mom gets so dived into work and with her actual kid, she's kind of left alone again. And then that's where you kind of see her in the beginning of this. She's literally living in Ezra's old house. And that was all from Rebels. Yes, that was all from, you literally, that, that's all from Rebels. And then, so you, then that's kind of where you catch her. And then you see her at that point of like, she's so like distraught and like my family is gone, everything I know is family. So I'm going to go to like my brother, you know, and goes and lives wherever Ezra used to stay. That was so like, oh man, it really sets in. You know, now that you said that, it really sets in of why she was able to be like, oh yeah, you brought up Ezra. Okay, fine, fuck it. It's one fuck, of her last fuck ties, training. last familial ties, like Loki last friendship ties, even after everything that's happened. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, um and that leads us to what, like episode three, just about the end of episode three, I think. Yeah. Um, or episode four, I think. Yeah, episode four. four yeah. yeah, episode four. So, what ends up happening is we did say that Ahsoka, you know, kind of lost the duel against Ray Stevenson's character and got kicked she, off. She she did. She legitimately lost that yes. duel. Um, Ahsoka ends up in what I took to be, you know, the the world between worlds, and it's what we've seen. I mean, we've seen in Clone Wars and in Rebels. Rebels, yes. The the world between worlds, and then. Who is waiting there for her than yeah. almighty Anakin Skywalker Hayden Christensen in live action? Really fantastic. If you don't remember the term the world between worlds, it's the thing where in the Clone Wars and in Rebels, it's Ezra in Rebels and then and then Ahsoka, but it's Ahsoka in the Clone Wars basically stumbles into this, like, realm where it's very much like a, um, like a globe, almost. Yeah. yeah. And you see the different, like, almost pathways of time, and, um, that's, this is what kind of look up to me, like, it's, it's, it's like a, um, whatever you call like a globe, almost, space globe? What is the term? I guess solar system. Um, kind of thing, like, showing in a big sphere around her, and then you have, like, these various pathways, like, physical, that you can walk across. If you've seen Rebels or Clone Wars, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Otherwise, just take my words for it. It's just our words for it. It's just this, like, dimension you can get from, like, timeline to timeline, and you see all these cool stuff from flashbacks, and the Force is with you, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, so she shows up here, 
the first time in live action. Really, really sick to see, frankly. <laughs> and we see Force Anakin. That's how episode four ends. Episode five is where the good shit comes in. Like, honestly, <laughs> this is all of the dreams of the who watched Clone Wars come true. It's it's like people made all of the edits on Twitter and the, the like the photo edits of like oh this is what it would look like to have Hayden Christensen <laughs> as the Clone Wars Anakin and his outfit. Our, our they literally dreams. we don't need that anymore because they gave it to us. Thank you, Dave Filoni. I swear, I I I I would fist fight anybody who wanted to like shit talk Dave Filoni. Not well, but I would try. <laughs> um, that's really dorky Star Wars dreams come true. True and <laughs> through and through. Um, so what it is, would you like to talk about the the journey we go through? Yeah, yeah. so, so kind of as I was saying earlier about Ahsoka being apprehensive about, you know, getting into another full-fledged fight again. This, this is why. Kind of explains. Yes, yeah. this very much goes into that. Um, and so, you know, they kind of have the whole thing where, you know, oh God, she's like Anakin. And then he, he fucking calls her snips. I love it, man. We'll never get an explanation for that. And I don't honestly care. I don't need, I don't need one. I don't, I don't give a shit. Just like how it's she called It's cute him. and it's adorable. Just like how she called him Sky Guy. We don't need an explanation for it. You know? It just, I call my cat Bubs. That's not his name. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's the whole like, you know, familiar, you, you, you get the nickname for people. For people that are close to you. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So basically, he's... No, not basically. He straight up tells her, I, I am here. You know, your mm -hmm. your training isn't finished. Mm -hmm. And she she really isn't sure. Um, they, they have a fantastically choreographed uh, lightsaber battle. And I gotta say, my man Hayden Christensen still has it with the, with the saber skills. He's still, he's still got, got it. it. I definitely know that he fucks around he's with He's got the passion. You he, can see it. I definitely know that he teaches his kids and they fuck around <laughs> with the sabers at the crib. Because he is like... They're probably the tired of him trying to lightsaber battle yeah, him. Yeah, the, the, his moves are too, like, too smooth. Like, he, <laughs> he, he, was, he was too good He's with it. He's not out of practice. Yeah, um, so they kind of end up getting to the point, and she's really not driving, she's not really getting the point of what this training is, mm -hmm. of what it means to be, of why she's here and why he's doing this. And he straight up says, like, you get your ass kicked, that's why you're here, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. This, this is why I'm here. You lost the fight. Yeah. So fight. So to drive the point home... He sends her down to, like, a very early moment. And what I've seen people say that Memory. it's straight up, it's season one, episode 19 of Clone Wars. Nice. Yeah, nice. That's, that's what I've seen. Yeah, that's what I've seen is people say he sends her to that moment right there. Because you literally fucking see it. Hayden Christensen is literally wearing the Dave Filoni Clone Wars outfit. In mm, and then I, I kept saying it, to, I said it like three or four times without even knowing who the casting was. Holy shit, the casting of young Ahsoka is so fucking yeah, good. Yeah. I kept saying it. I was like, <laughs> so man, I was like, man, she looks just like the Clone Wars episodes. Like, the. <laughs> Fantastic. And ironically job. enough, it is uh, Ariana Greenblatt, who was young, who was, who was young Gamora. Who, Unbelievably. <laughs> who was also, she was in Barbie, correct, as well? Yeah, she was the the grumpy teen in Barbie whose Barbie it was, you know, America Ferrera. Is that yeah. her name, or was that just who she was? No, it's America Ferrera. Yeah, Uncle yeah. Betty was the show. Um, America Ferrera's character's daughter. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, seeing her, like, 
like I had no clue who that was. So like I I I I, I haven't even thought of Young Gamora since it's like right. that thing. And then like did see, not look like her. Did not look like it. But like I Holy I shit. I guess she's been going to acting classes because like she did a fantastic job. You you see all that you see you see episode one you see episode one nineteen Ahsoka, and then you see the siege of Mandalore Ahsoka, and that's when it really starts to set in that. Oh my god, this girl is a child, like she's a straight up child soldier because in the Clone Wars you don't really you don't really see her as like a kid. But I think in this live action casting she's, she is a kid, but she's not portrayed as a kid because she's a soldier. Yes, that, that's the whole thing. And you look at her and you're like, there's no way she's older than twelve and she's fighting in a full on fucking war. Yeah. And it's like Oh yeah. This is why Ahsoka now is so reserved and doesn't want to jump into a fight as somebody can you imagine being 12 years old? And they have a fantastic scene, oh my god, where she walks by one of the troopers who's like... Yeah, and tries... Destroy, she and comforts her, him with, yeah. the, with the force. Yeah. yeah, and then like, it's man, and then it's like Anakin like saying, you know, like, you, ha you gotta be tough, I'm teaching you how to survive, and then she's saying, what is this training for? And that's kind of when you really start to see, like, where the training is coming from. It's meant to survive, and then what it ends up really culminating to is that it comes together that you're to see his failures and to move on from that. You're not just, you know, because she thought that you're, I am everything you are, so that means I'm going to fall to the dark side and just be this thing who only kills and, and is dark and destruction. I am not. I am more than that. I am, lear you know, I am. I can learn from that. And the whole mm -hmm. thing of Anakin's story, he went from killing millions of people to being fully redeemed by his son and being a full-on force ghost. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole thing that he wanted to show her, that, you kept, you know, having this narrow sight that your master was this evil person and that's what you were going to be too, but you weren't. So, yeah. If, if I might add on a slightly different note of our green black, uh, and excuse me, but the mind fuck of her seeing her in this, because as I was watching it before <laughs> we knew who she was, I literally went to Adam. This looks like Ashley Eckstein. Like, how <laughs> oh, did, yeah. Ashley Eckstein is the voice of Ahsoka in the Clone Wars mm -hmm. and then again in Rebels. How did they manage to get somebody who looked equally like Ashley Eckstein? Honestly, I felt like she looked more like Ashley Eckstein than she did like Rosario Dawson. Yes. <laughs> but yeah. still equally like Ahsoka. It kind of blew my mind. It was fucking with me a lot. Like, I'm sorry, but it really was. Like, she, she, I, she is a... A, I would say brown skinned young girl, young woman, but with that makeup on, unrecognizable and could absolutely be anybody. I it was it was so cool and I like I almost questioned that that was even her because of how well and different it was done. It was it was really cool. Yeah. Uh, to see, and then of course after the fact to find out who that was. Yeah, yeah. There's the thing I saw that it was some. It was like, okay, what was it? Infinity War as young Gamora. Yep. Um, Barbie. This, and then apparently she's cast as um Tiny Tina in the <laughs> Borderlands live action adaptation. Oh my gosh! Shout out to her agent, <laughs> like whoever her okay, agent no. is. That's what we said the other day. We were. Oh yeah. Like she <laughs> has to be the child of a director. Or a, a producer, producer yeah. or something like really. There's no way. Because yeah, oh yeah. What I say to you the day, I was like, there's no way her one line in Infinity War was good yeah. enough for her to get she her these roles. She didn't do anything in Infinity she War. She just said, was it worth it? She did fine. Yeah, she did. I'm sure as well as anybody else would have with one line. 
but look at how her career has just blossomed. What a trajectory! Like you, brilliant. See her in her first romantic comedy in three years. It's going to be a high school drama. I'm sure it's going to be in theaters, and it'll be up for shit. That's great. I'm sure. Okay, call, <laughs> calling it now. What is this? September fifteenth, twenty twenty-three. <laughs> Ten years from now, she will be the live-action adaptation of Yara Floor. Don't, don't, don't fuck with me like that, man. Because I'm telling you, when that I'm happens, telling you, I'm telling you, I'm gonna bury my head in the ground and <laughs> the dirt because I'm gonna be like, what did he do? That's I'm, I'm calling it now. I'm calling it now. Within the next five to ten years, that will be the well, floor okay. So on the one live hand, action. on the one hand of yes. Okay, if you're not sure what we're talking about, your floor is the new Wonder Girl. She's Brazilian, and that's where I'm going with this. I don't know if she's Brazilian, but that would be the only other option would be if they get an act. Ooh, hit my microphone. An actual Brazilian actress. I'm pretty sure she's somewhat Hispanic. Like, gotta be. Yeah. Because they put America Ferreira as her mom in Barbie. So yeah. That's and, and I saw the I, that means anything because the picture I saw talking about her roles. I saw the Barbie poster. She, in my opinion, is somebody who's brown. She looks Hispanic. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Why not? Um, but yeah, anyways, to get back to Toy all being. of that, yeah, <laughs> to get back to all of that, um, but Young to Ahsoka see- Ahsoka was great. <laughs> yeah, but to see Ahsoka go through all of that path, and then to have it be, like, fucking Hayden Christensen, Anakin Skywalker- Oh my gosh. Be the Jedi Master to her to do that was just so beautiful, and then they have this intense-ass lightsaber scene, mm-hmm. where he just straight up goes red saber, and he gets the Sith Him eyes. Him Rosario Dawson's Ahsoka, the full-grown Ahsoka, yeah. The fact that, like, those two had never acted on these characters together on screen, and they, like, they did it, it that well together. They got it. They got it. They understood the assignment. And the fact, like, that thing I was, I was saying it to you or watching it, the fact that, like, Hayden Christensen has been away from all of this mm-hmm. from this long, and then, like... He comes back, and they filled in his character so much. Like yes. it, that, it only strengthened his character in those prequels. Now that they've added all this yes. juicy, meaty backstory to him. As a kid born Man. in '94, and you know you were '92, and then sorry, I don't know, like how would you like that? <laughs> but like, um, what was that? 1999 was episode one. That shit was formative, and then you get episode two. Couple years later, even more formative somehow. Two thousand five, like, episode three. I will never forget seeing that in theaters, man. It, that like, was man. It, 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 that that people our age Woo. and like around our age areas. That was the shit. Just, just, just that was our like pop culture phenomenon of the era. Just to give you guys a moment in time, this summer was too... Uh, let me take you back. 2005. The summer of 2005. Um, I tried to whistle. Sorry. Revenge of the Sith comes out in May. And then in July, Batman Begins comes out. It was a good era. To- what? This is why what? literally my, my mans, Man. my dudes, look, my website has said it's a good time to be a nerd since I had it. I have been telling that to people since high school. So like since 2009 when I started, I mean like ish high school, people laughed at me because they were like, oh, <laughs> I am not even kidding you dudes. It has always been the past 10 years, the best time to get into this shit. Like... It is a good freaking time to be a nerd. I don't know why I just muted myself for it's, that moment. It's fine, but, but, <laughs> but yeah, j- just to give you an idea of like how like how much time they've had to like only strengthen 
Hayden's character and to give him much more just juicy roles to like, you know, substance to work with this character in depth. And it's really, um, I did love to not be proven wrong. Thank you. Don't send anybody's profiles to me. But <laughs> um, Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader slash Anakin Skywalker seems to be one of the main things that any Star Wars fan can agree about, upon yes. as being like phenomenal. And there is so much discord. There is so much disagreement and hatred and distaste. I don't think I have ever seen in the in the modern like past ten years era anybody hating on Hayden Christensen's like. I, the dude did not write the script, my guys. Like it. I think we all know now that that wasn't him. He did amazingly with what he was given. And by God, if he isn't the face of Darth fucking Vader at this point in life. Like, come the fuck on. It is monumental. It is well, the truth. And also, I think it's, like, very fitting, you know, at, at the point in time where... Oh my God, where James Earl Jones is kind of stepping mm, away from mm. doing a lot of the Vader stuff. Don't even talk to me about Obi-Wan and the crossover of Vader and Anakin's voices. Yeah, Sorry, go ahead. Then And then, you know, him him kind of like, you know, yes, I'm going to take a step back from a lot of it. And then I guess I'm more or less okay with it, him kind of signing off on them using like a, a an animated voice of his because it's like, it's it's not necessarily him one-to-one. It's like, Oops. it's a little bit tweaked and different. Um. But yeah, where you can have somebody like that, where it's where it's Anakin, you know, where it's Hayden Christensen who can come on and do the intense scenes, just like you were saying in Obi Wan, where yeah. where Obi Wan cracks his mask, and guess Only what? Only one has done that character in yes. any reasonable history. And, and guess what? Now that you have Hayden Christensen back, you can do that scene where the mask is cracked, and you actually get to see the real man as Vader, and not just have somebody be a stand. You know? Oh yeah. Where you can have this thing where it's like, you know, Anakin. You on you, you can Anakin. have Anakin on the precipice. Of the red eyes who just slaughtered a bunch of younglings fighting Ahsoka in the what do you call it the waves the, or whatever the, the, the world between yeah the world, world between, between worlds. world like yeah you can have that battle and have just oh my god just dreams come true oh and then also another thing I thought uh, I just thought it was a reflection of the screen we watched on the first time of whenever she like takes his blade from him and she really starts to get the the message of the lesson. I thought it was just red reflection. No, she straight up gets Sith eyes for a second. And mm -hmm. that's like so cool for me. And then it's like, um, and then the whole thing of, um, the whole thing of two, like to kind of like backtrack a little bit before I wrap it up on my end of things. <laughs> um, just like you were saying before, Jason being force sensitive. Yeah. His dad that's, was, his dad was a blind Jedi. Yeah. At the, at the Let's end of, real. at the end of episode four, he literally looks at his mom and says, I have a bad feeling about mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. How many times have we heard that with somebody being force sensitive? <laughs> Come on, man. Um, I, I also really enjoyed episode five, having the moment of him taking, basically taking, not literally, but basically taking his mom's hand. Yes. And having and her take her. the moment, stop being a general for a second, take a deep breath, listen to the air around you. And that's when they learn that, yeah, Ahsoka's out the here. There is something weird and mystical like I said, the force is fucking magic. There's something magical happening out here that we can hear Ahsoka... F At that point, it was Ahsoka fighting evil Anakin as, like, I guess you would say, Vader. And then she beats him in the fight, and he says, 
you uh you've learned your lesson you've learned your final lesson or something like that yeah just basically letting her know that like you it, what i was saying before like it's you're more than just this but uh, but the whole thing that what, what the more or less overarching thing of it is that she is more or less cleansing herself of mm-hmm. holding holding yes. holding on to Anakin's sins and then just kind of like starting fresh and then in my opinion fully becoming a Bendu force user which is somebody who is not dark who is not light who is just a force user and becoming Ahsoka the White and I really thought that that was a straight up Lord of the Rings reference it was and as somebody who's a Lord of the Rings fan I feel like you could like really elaborate on that you see it like you said, well, you didn't say, but you, I know you talked about it before with just two of us. Um, the water, they take yes, her yeah. from. Obviously, she's been wearing these grayish brown outfits, of course, and that's mm-hmm. people like to pretend that color doesn't mean anything. That that fashion isn't symbolic, but holy shit! Like the the amount of fashion blogs that rip, not rip apart, but like detail the the meaning of. You know, at the time, you know, it was Queen Elizabeth's outfits versus, like, Princess Kate's outfits and how it was like, oh, the Queen wore this and the Princess wore this and a week later and that means that they, you know, they're fighting in this way. You know, it was like the, the, the psychology behind fashion is 100% a thing. That's extremely loosely a part of this, but... Um, what you see in episode five is when she's done in the w- in the world of worlds, the way of the worlds. What is yeah, it? Yeah, world of world between world, worlds. World between worlds. Um, she's learned her final lesson, supposedly a final lesson from Anakin, and water starts rising. And we've kind of known since Jason. Jason. Yeah, Jason. Jason is you know a cool dude who's got the Force a bit um, from his dada. He seems to know that Ahsoka is having some kind of weird force thing happening out over the water. So his mom, of course, Hera, she sends... Oh my god, what is his name? He's with her. Um, Appa. Appa, I, I, I feel He's, so bad I keep calling <laughs> him We never Appa, remember but, his name. But I see him and I'm like, I just look and I'm like, yo, dude, I want to hug of, you. He's like, part he's, of her crew. He was yeah. he was Appa on Kim's Convenience, Kim's Convenience which had yeah. its whole other drama we don't need to talk about. Um, but he's in this now. He always wanted to be one of the, the, the rebel, fight, the rebel, the rebel fighters, fighters. Yeah. And he got cast as one of them. And he was in, he was in Mandalorian a little mm-hmm. bit here and there. And he was in the book of Boba Fett. And then mm-hmm. he was back in Mandalorian. This, and now he's in Ahsoka. And it's really just like the nerds nerd dream comes such true. Such a moment. You know? yeah, like he, one of us, one of us. And then here you are actually doing the thing. That you always wanted to do. Absolutely fantastic. And it's like also like the whole All thing my support. too. Like, yeah. And then it's also it a huge moment for me. Just like my first, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, Empire Strikes Back has always been my favorite movie. But like the one moment that will always stick out is like Luke in that orange, like Rebel Fighter pilot outfit. Mm. Oh, yeah. I, was, I remember I was. Iconic moment. I remember frankly. I was sick as, I was so sick as a kid. I had like a flu or something. And like, that was like the first Star Wars toy I ever got. <laughs> and that was like the thing that I, I, you know, just latched onto and like, and then like hearing him say that as like, you know, an Asian person and then like him getting cat, that was such Fantastic a moment for me moment. to see that and be like, I get oh, yeah. exactly where you're coming from, dude. Like, oh man, it's so beautiful. And then it's like, yeah, just like the whole thing. Like he's an older Asian man. Like 
you wouldn't expect somebody to cast somebody like that yeah. as a rebel fighter pilot. You think it's like this young hotshot. It's like no, Dreams you need the come true. yeah, you need the elder statesman who's been <laughs> around here and who's done the patrols and who knows the secret yeah. routes in and out of everything. That's why he was and able. God, that's he, he that's why. Fucking, what's his name? Yeah, yeah, and that's why he was able to find Mando on that spider planet because he knew all the back routes. Like, but that then kind it of... was what's and his name? Zeb, the Rebels. He Zeb. was with Zeb. Him and Zeb were chilling <laughs> in a bar, you know, and Mando, like that kind of stuff. It's so awesome that they were just like, love to see it. yeah. It's I love that. Like a lot of Star Wars, like rewards people who are genuine fans of it when they get in, into this universe. <laughs> At least they make it feel like that, and I feel like yeah. that's what matters. Yeah. You know, like, even if it's, like, my... Even if it's, like, even if it's, like, me being a background character who gets shot by a blaster in a Star Wars movie mm -hmm. or a show, that would be fine for me. Yeah. <laughs> so where were we? We were Ahsoka. Um, she she finishes Anakin's lesson. Yeah, so the, the water white. comes up, and we kind of know that she's in the water, you know, out, out there among... Um, you know, the water. I don't know about the water. It's the water. It's the, it's the water. The cliff. She got kicked Thank off the cliff. Thank you. She yeah. got kicked off the cliff. Uh, they find her way, way out there, though, and she eventually, um, like, surfaces, kind of, or they, they see her in the water. It's Chopper. The Chopper sees her. That's what it is. Yep. Chopper sees her in the Jason water. Jason and Chopper were searching. Um, the they radar. were standing on the edge, just kind of, like, searching, and he was, Jason was just being, like, he was you know, using force, the force sensitive to, find her, to yeah. you know, good boy. Um, so the Chopper finds her, they bring her in, and next time that we see her, well, I mean, the next time that we see her, actually, what everybody has been wanting to see, uh, a bald slash uncrowned, I guess you would say, I think un bald unadorned. I love the sound of bald Ahsoka. Bald sounds like what it actually looks like. Unadorned, as I feel like was the, like, appropriate word, but bald's what it looks like. Um... Everybody's been wanting to see Ahsoka without, or what is her race? Trigodas. Trigodas without the headpiece, head basically. Um, and it brought up a couple of questions. A, why didn't they decide to blend in the skin between the white part of her head and the Because I don't feel like your hairline isn't blended. Like, it just goes from my skin color to black I, hair. Okay, okay. I get that, I guess. Uh, the other question was we both had was about the ears. Um, it was like, yeah, like there appears to be things. very slight indents in like the actual tail part of where your ear would be on her ear tails, though, or head tails is what they called them, yeah. right? Um, on the sides of her head, little indents, almost like fish. Obviously, they wouldn't work like that. Um, but then the interesting thing was when she puts it, her headpiece back on, I you notice more significantly then because you're paying attention I guess there's her headpiece has like I don't know how to describe it except for like earmuffs on that part of her ear or that part of her head tail that kind of like it kind of looks like hearing aids let's be honest like I don't know how to describe it right like like kind of look like hearing well, aids it's, it's in like, that part it's of like, her ear it's like, like what I said to you it's like what I said to you it's probably a thing to hear better and it's just like uh, literally why when you see Plo Koon uh, he has those metal things yeah, on his he's face. Yeah, obviously got to adapt. Yeah, it's because uh, his his people can't breathe the air that we breathe, so he has to use that. So yeah, it so could they very must much have be the same thing for, thing, for the Trigodas to be able to hear a little bit yeah. better. And that's why probably why naturally why they're racist inept with the Force because their sense of hearing isn't so great. And they always always have their headpieces on. It seems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. 
so then aside from that, obviously the gray to white thing, you know, is from uh, JK. <laughs> Holy shit! I apologize. And as a turf. Oh my god! <laughs> Don't say that. That's not true. <laughs> you heard it here first. There's too many authors who use their. <laughs> okay. J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. I know what I'm talking about, I swear to god. Um, obviously, Gandalf goes from Gandalf the Grey to Gandalf the White. The words go from, I believe it is brown to grey to white to, I want to say, blue. Blue could be somewhere else in the alphabet. I don't know. The wizardish alphabet. Um, but anyway, I think white is actually the top, so blue is somewhere else in there. Anyway, um, Radagast is brown. You know, you get it. Um, obviously, in Lord of the Rings, when we see Gandalf killed in the Fellowship of the Rings, I don't know, killed, he goes down, he fights the Balrog. Stuff Still happens. One of my scenes. Really cool stuff. Episode, uh, Episode, oh my god, this is not Star Wars. <laughs> um, the Two Towers, I believe, which when I was a kid, I used to call the Twin Towers. Mm. Bro, that was that was un that was problematic and I didn't know it. And I remember that every now and then and kind of cringe myself because I would get I wouldn't, I, I just forgot the difference. I just said the Twin Tower. <clears throat> anyway, um, the two towers. You're on um, a roll. I'm I'm fucking on From a roll. JK Rowling to the twin <laughs> towers. <laughs> Kill me. Um <laughs> Joe Rogan on next week. Please don't fucking tell them that I said that. <laughs> I didn't mean to. Um Anyway, you know, eventually find out Gandalf's alive and all this cool stuff, and he's he is the wizard of the woods that the the Ents are like taking the the hobbits to, and they all think that it's gonna be some they think it's gonna be Saruman, and it's, oh, it's Gandalf, my bro, Gandalf the White, though. So that's the whole thing with the wizards is like he basically have to like kind of have an end of life experience, and there was him with the Balrog, and you know the whole thing. Um, he comes back as Gandalf the White. Boom! So that's more or less like the the symbology they did with Ahsoka there. Uh, she's she's pretty much Ahsoka the Brown slash Gray. I mean, based on what she's wearing, I'm sure she would have called herself the Gray because of the uh, the traditional title between Sith and Jedi. You know, it was the Gray like whatever title they want to call it, Bendu or whatever. Um, but now she has had this whole experience. She's kind of finalized that first phase of her life with Anakin as her teacher. That all came to a head with the whole world between worlds thing. And now she appropriately takes on, as we saw in the clone, sorry, uh, the Rebels, the Star Wars Rebels animated series, the physically white outfit, which is an obvious uh, metaphor to the changing of beliefs and opinions and loyalties uh, to a more neutral stance and more powerful than the grain neutral stance, I think is kind of what it's traditionally taken as. Was that kind of what you were expecting? Yeah. Okay. All right. Anything else to add for for the episodes? That's that's kind of where we ended. Oh no, we didn't end it there. We, we, yeah. Just so, kidding. So as you see, Ahsoka, the white slash gray. Um, make this transcendence thing. Um, they, she's like, you know, we're gonna go and make this thing and and go and talk to the whales. 
Yeah, she's the Sophie the White now. The, the giant space whale. That's what I would say. Um, and so she she kind of puts her hand out, and you see like this beautiful sequence of all of them coming out. You know, basically their sea of giant, you know, uh, hyper jumping space whales, and she kind of puts. They her go hand. up to meet them. Yeah. Yeah, they go up to meet them, and she kind of sticks her hand out, and then you know talks to him through the force and gets the gist of it. Uh, jumps inside of his mouth. And then they kind <laughs> literally, of, you see the baleen and everything. Yeah, it, it was pretty awesome. Like he just like opens his mouth, and she's like, "Hugh Yang, get in there!" And he's like, "Okay." He like rolls up, backs the <laughs> ship in, so. drops it up, and then he's like, "Do you know where we're going?" And she's like, "No, I don't." She she like, literally says like she's and I love it because it's so Ahsoka and it's yes, so Star Wars, yes, especially somebody who's had um, that moment to to be like they get into the mouth of the whale, and he's like, "So where are we going?" And she goes. Oh no! He asks, like, "So are we going to where uh, they send Ezra?" Ezra? And, are, yeah. and she goes, "I have no idea." <laughs> like laughing as she says it and kind of smiling, and it's like, and he's like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, I don't know where we're going. Like basically, just like then that's how the it was like that shit's cool. I'm sorry, but if you don't think that's awesome, you don't know Star Wars. The adventuring spirit, the the endless unknown, the crazy animalist space whales like that's that's star wars that's the best and the fact that ahsoka like was able to grasp that and be like you know what this has like a one in 50 chance that it's gonna take us to the same place they took us before or they took ezra before uh but you know what this is gonna be cool either way so let's do this shit <laughs> yeah it would be like awesome if they just go there and it's just like a giant like cantina bar and everybody's just been chilling the past few years. Like, yeah, that's obviously along. not how it's gonna go. I know. I'm really know. curious, though, because, like, if they would have, like, let's say it's been even just five years, like, at minimum, something has to be out there for them to have survived. Like, there's no way they're all just mad maxing it, right? Like, that's, there's no way. There's got to be something out there, like like it's not been Ezra versus Thrawn soldiers, like well, he's well, slowly killing them off to well, eat no. them, like what? Well, no, <laughs> no, because when, when when they got sent there, it was literally just Ezra and Thrawn on the ship, but it was a giant Imperial ship. So either way, so either I'm, way, like they're, are they hunting each other constantly to, for food or like? No, there's got to be something out there. What I'm thinking is is that like. They're like the it crashed, and then one of them ended up like in the wreckage of the ship and like lording over that, versus the other one ended up kind of landing on the planet and lording over some sort of area and relying and you know allying themselves with the locals. And it's kind of been like this Logically, weird that would make sense, and it's kind of been like this weird, like in between yeah. war, waiting for something one side to you know where like Thrawn and his yeah. like. Because Thawne is a master tactician. He would definitely be able to keep... The, you know, somehow, someway, there's probably some sort of handful of stormtroopers that lived or handful of robots that he had that lived. And he would definitely... Especially if it was a giant Imperial ship like that, there was probably more than enough supplies on there to make sure they lived. And Ezra's more than resourceful enough to go in there and align with the people at the local planet, if that is the thing. I, I'm this that's is me just spitballing. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's kind of what I mean, like... That's what it's, I just think really, of what it could be. Yeah, it's really up in the air. And, like, could they, just think about it now, like, could they possibly tie it into Ray somehow? 
the planet that she's on when we first meet her? Have we seen that in Star Wars? Like, could they potentially... I know the timeline timeline be damned, but, like... Well, in Is it the, possible that that's where this starts? In the after... I think it was the Aftermath books, they said that Jakku is basically um, a lot of wherever the... Like, a lot of remnants of the Empire went, and a lot of, like, uh, wars happened with the New Republic and um, remnants of the Empire. That's why it had so much, like, fucking... Excuse me, um, like empire stuff there, and that's why it was such a big like junk planet because there were so many New Republic ships there, so many Empire ships there from just so many like in between battles after the war. So I could kind of see that that would make that would make sense because they really did a really good job in that canon book of explaining the lore reason of where the fuck Jakku came from and why it was such a valuable thing because it was a lot of ground zero for a shit ton of battles. So. Yeah, yeah. It's, there, I feel like there's just a lot of options. Mm-hmm. Um, this this piece we're going into with discovering wherever Ezra and Thrawn are, to the best of you know Star Wars lore knowledge, or could be wrong, um, hasn't been delved into before. So it's really just bars open. Who knows? So, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess the last thing for for me on this is a. Uh... I kind of trust Dave Filoni with almost anything oh, Star yeah. Wars now. Oh yeah, the, you know the fact that he's he's he did so well oh, with yeah. you know creating and directing the animated, and the fact that he's made for the sure. transition for a lot of these characters from animated Personally, to live yeah. action, and then I feel like this episode directing characters and story, like especially Soka character that he straight up created, and mm-hmm. getting somebody like you know Hayden Christensen to come in from the prequels and like just 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 really just really fucking setting in stone of like those prequel movies and letting them know they're good not as a viewer <laughs> yeah and just letting them know they're not going anywhere and just like this is the perfect amalgamation of everything we've seen Star Wars and it's all this one thing and that he just made it so smooth I kind of have faith in him to do like you know more things yeah like, I, for I, sure. I, I, I trust him you know, after, um, I would assume he was in charge of rebels. Yes, he was. Um, yeah. obviously I watched clone wars whenever I watched that. And then rebels after that was more let's come out. And I mean, after, after what we got now, we got Mandalorian, we got book of Boba Fett, we got Ahsoka. We have, I mean, I haven't Star Wars visions season one and two, you I know, have all y- that stuff. I yeah. have yet to dislike any of these projects as a whole. Um, let him let him at it. <laughs> verse the max. Sure, why not? I'm for it. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else for the episodes of Ahsoka so far? No, I think. We kinda, what do you want to see? We went over. Yeah, what do you we want to see hard. by the end of the season? I don't even have any idea what they're really gonna like finalize the season with. Um, my my, what I would like to personally see, I would like to see, you know. Ahsoka and Sabine, you know, like hash things oh, out. Yeah. One, get back um, to the same page and team. And, and then I think I think in space. this this moment, you know, I, you know, I'm not Dave Filoni at all, but I think storytelling <laughs> wise, she has that. You know, her and Ahsoka have that thing of going like, yes, you know, this isn't the best thing. I appreciate you. And then Sabine starts to feel lost for like half a second. Bokatan rolls up with the Mandos and is like, yo, we're back together. Um, I'm getting all the Mandos and like the moment, the mm. moment. The moment, right when Sabine is feeling like, I've lost this, I've lost that, I don't get, oh shit. She made her apologies, but doesn't have anywhere to go. And then she realizes 
the family, my original blood family that I thought was completely gone, guess what? We're back better than ever, baby. Like, that whole thing, I think that would be fantastic for Bring her. Bring her because, into Mando season four or whatever. Yeah, well, it's like her whole thing, the last status quo that she left was that, like, you know, Mandalorians who wore helmets and didn't wear helmets hated mm -hmm. each other. Now we're at the mm -hmm. status quo of they're working together and building up strong. So I think for her to Thank come... Thank you, Jinjarin. Right? And for her to come back and seeing all that to, like, being distraught and not where to fit in between being a Force user and between being a Mandalorian to see this, I think would be great. Um, and then I kind of... I'm really hesitant to see if I want to see where Ahsoka is during the sequel trilogy or where she's going to pan out because... I, I'm not sure if since they're bringing mm. back these Ray movies, that might be a reason to bring back Ahsoka because Trigodas are very... It does get a little complicated. Because they're old. Well, that's the thing. Trigodas are very known for living up to like yeah. 200 years. So it's like you could very much bend that and like make it work. But it's like, how far do you really want to take that is kind of Ye where I'm getting sketchy yeah. with it. Um, and then you get into the whole complicated question of... Here is your Star Wars fan of the average who's seen who all of the sequel the movies, movies yeah. and who knows Rey. But who the hell is Ahsoka? Anakin had a Padawan? What? I didn't see this in the movie. Yeah, that's something that is really, really easy to have happen. And honestly, a part of me thinks that that's why the sequel... I mean, what we got? The prequel trilogy? No, what are we... Yeah, we're in the sequel trilogy now. What the fuck? And then um, after this that's point, why I mean that's why I feel like it's kind of gone that way is because they can't really tie it back into that stuff. Maybe they're about to change that by putting Ahsoka in the Ray movie that is supposedly going to be coming out. There's I, we kind of have it all up in the air in my opinion. Insane crackpot theory. Oh my um, god, that was <laughs> so. If they really want to do some absolutely funky fucking shit, <laughs> use the world between worlds Ray and Ahsoka and do a soft reset of things. Oh, I don't like that. I know. I don't like that. We don't like that. We don't like that, but you know who would like Disney. that? Disney. Obviously Disney. Disney and the big corporate shareholders. <laughs> So that's why <laughs> that's why I'm kind of apprehensive of how far I want to take the Ahsoka stuff and oh. where she's going to be at this point in time. But like, what? Logically, would any of that make sense? No. Does floaty would rocks and laser swords make sense? Magic. No. Magic makes sense. Okay, magic timeline rebooted. That's not... You can't MCU it. They've already proved that with other movies, that multiverse doesn't work like that for other franchises. Thanks, The Flash, for fucking that up well, for I mean, everybody. This, this is also where like, stuff like this gets very sketchy because these these shareholders and billionaires aren't creative. I know, really. They aren't creative at all, and so you have to... <laughs> so this is the point where you kind of have to like let go and trust people like Dave Filoni and Kathleen Kennedy to like make the proper creative decisions and explain it to these <laughs> babbling within, idiots with a bunch of money. The, within the confines of whatever it is that they've decided yes. that you can do. Yes. So, so, Who so that, the hell knows So that's, that's kind of where, like, so that's kind of where, like, I'm worried because, like, this is really, like, interesting for me, in my opinion. We're in very much untreaded territory <laughs> with Star Wars right now. Oh, yeah. We're, like, because, because, just like you were saying, like, the sequel trilogy, the next mm, trilogy, whatever anything. it is with Rey or whatever it is, it won't be anything. It'll be just Star Wars. It'll be the yeah. new thing because it's not 
tying into this prequel. It's not tying into the sequel yeah. to this. It's just, it's the new fucking slate of Star Wars, this new status quo. So, who knows? Correct me if I'm wrong, but the new quote-unquote trilogy we're supposed to be getting, one is a Rey movie, one is a Knights of the Old Republic movie. No, Rey is a trilogy. No. Oh. That is not true. Oh. One is a one. One is a Ray movie. Okay. One is an older like Knights of the Republic movie, and then one is like a more modern Jedi movie. I think it's, it's something like that. There's no Ray trilogy. That was the fucking thing that people on Twitter were trying to be all asinine about saying like, don't even they're give giving a, good, a whole good, trilogy. Don't even give to but that's what I mean. That people were freaking the fuck out because they were like, "Oh, Ray's gonna get a whole trilogy of movies about her." As far as I know, that's not a possible. That's not possibly what's happened. It's it's literally a Ray movie, an oldish Jedi movie, and then like a- our cat is literally trying to play with the fan blades right now. I'm not even joking, bro. Oh my god, <laughs> are you okay? Oh my god, he's fine. He's fine. He's an idiot. Um, no. <laughs> but yeah, if, if they Point did, being. But anyways, yeah, we're 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 like getting way too into the weeds of Star Wars stuff. We really are. You could literally do this for days. I mean, you really could. <laughs> we're getting too far into it. This has been. We, sh- a, we should do a. Sister. Literally, we've been doing this for an hour. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for listening this far. If you've gotten this far, um. Is there anything else we haven't covered for the Ahsoka show? I think we kind of went into it. <laughs> it was supposed to be the premiere and on, but now we've been like the first majority of the season. But life goes on. This has been very enjoyable as a show. Is As a person who has known who Luke Skywalker's dad is since before I was born. That was never revealed to me. I've... Like, that's always been, like, I, that's how much Star Wars has been in my life. It's just always been a knowledge that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. That's just how... Sorry to spoil that for you, Adam, but, um... Is he okay? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Poor stupid little guy. Anyway, uh, are we done? I think so. Okay, alright, we're done. This episode's probably gonna go up on Saturday, so my bad. But, um, we had fun, and we've really been enjoying Ahsoka, so check that shit out if you're a Star Wars fan, because Hayden Christensen, Christensen, I don't know how to say his last name properly, frankly, um, as Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader seems to be the only thing that Star Wars fans can be consistently agreeing upon. Frankly, I'm down for that, and I'm pretty sure that's one of those terms that I kept using in the episode too much, so... Things never change, do they? Uh, next episode will happen at some point, I'm sure. Probably by the before before October. I can I can be pretty sure about that. Anything you want to say? Stay hydrated. Yeah, don't drink very much beer. Drink water if you do. Anyway, good night or good afternoon. Uh, good morning. It's gonna be fall soon, so you know, do stuff. Eat pumpkin or butternut squash or you know vegetables because you need that in your diet anyway have a good night don't be a dick <laughs>